Hi, I'm Elena Jankovic, and I have no challenges remaining. Welcome to episode 100 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined for the 100th-ish time by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. We're here, Courtney. Happy episode 100. Finally, as I'm sure what most people are probably saying, given our ludicrous numbering scheme over the course of the last uh, few episodes. Um, But yes, we are finally here with episode number 100. It has been a long time coming, and we know that. But I'm pretty excited about it. I think Ben's pretty excited about it. I think we're pretty happy with how it turned out. Here we are at the centennial. Because we kind of make up our own rules, we decided we wanted for 100 to be something good and nice and cool and true to us and true to us which is yeah. which was a an interesting debate that ben and i kind of uh, engaged in over the course of the last couple of months i think two or three months as we knew that episode number 100 was coming up and it was like well what do we want to do do we want to do the big extravaganza try and get the big names and just really cash in all of our chips to to get you know the big dogs or or what and at the end of the day i think we kind of decided you know what that wouldn't be true to the last 99 ish episodes of this podcast and and i think that uh, what we have done here is is brought in some guests that we really like a lot and, and who are by no means small. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, and we've brought them in to just uh, talk a little bit in the way that we have with guest stars in the past yeah. um, on these episodes, which is just uh, to get a nice chat going. We wanted people who sort of represent the things that we like about tennis, which, I mean, and No Challenges Remaining in its 100-episode-plus existence hasn't always been specifically about tennis. I think there probably are people who listen, who have tried out our podcast, who are like, I don't care about this because I want to hear about, you know, forehand and what makes it all so good on clay and what, you know, how Novak's footwork has improved, and we give you none of that. No. Um, but what we do give you is a lot of insights into the sort of world that the game has created and the people who have shaped the sport and have, have been shaped by the sport and the personalities and the psychology and the sociology and all these other right. ologies of the sport. And so we're going to give you people who, in their own ways, represent that. And the ologies that got Ben and I into this sport right. initially back when we were nothing but fans and little, you know, tennis yeah. embryos, effectively. Oh, we were adorable, though. Um, but yeah, just you know, just the cutest embryos, just the in cutest the world. embryos in the world. But, you know, I mean, for me, it wasn't really ever about forehands and backhands and serves and tactics and all these sorts of things. I just liked the personalities. I liked the players. And as I've crossed over that barrier from being a fan into being a tennis writer and being kind of part of effectively the machine, or at least getting to look behind the scenes and see how the machine uh, operates, you know, that still to this day is what I find compelling about this sport. It's why I still write about it and follow it with a rather childlike enthusiasm. And our three guest stars that we've brought in for this episode, they are really part and parcel of that kind of, I don't know, aesthetic, if you will, of enjoying tennis. Or joie de vivre, even. The tapestry. There you go. So... (laughs) The first person we have coming to you, you may have heard just in the introduce herself in the intro, if you're paying attention to a different voice there, although she was part of that original intro because the audio that I found of a person running out of challenges for making the intro back in 2012 was Yelena Yankovic, uh, who's a notoriously terrible challenger. 
but a pretty fun person all around for any other category. So we definitely want to have her on here. We've had her on the show a little bit before um, in different capacities, but we want to have a more dedicated guest segment with JJ. Courtney, what is it about JJ that makes her such a uh, a glittery unicorn of magic, of like Lisa Frank stupendousness? Yes. What is what is JJ? JJ is the Lisa Frank Trapper Keeper that I always wanted when I was a kid, but my parents would never buy me. Uh, <laughs> something out of reach, something that was to be just cherished um, and appreciated. And, and that's what she is. She's so earnestly JJ. And I think that that's something that people who are Yelena Yankovic fans uh, or just Yelena Yankovic appreciators recognize is that she just kind of does her thing. She doesn't really apologize for it. Um, some people can see it as being uh, sometimes rude or, you know, people get really into like her spats with Serena, for example, or or kind of the coldness that the, the matches with Maria Sharapova have, you know, those sorts of things. Or turned off by her diva. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But to me, that's what, again, that's what makes tennis compelling to me. And what really I love about Yelena that is maybe different than some of the other WTA divas or ATP divas. Let's not even pretend that they those don't exist. Sure. But what um, what I do love about Yelena Yankovic is that she doesn't mean anything by it. That at the end of the day, like you talk to other players, they really like her. The younger players, she takes them under her wing. She's just unapologetically herself. And I would like to think that both Ben and myself kind of have a little bit of that DNA as well. We would hope so. So here is JJ getting a little bit more of her thoughtful side, sharing some stories from her past in tennis and Looking back at the world, this was recorded uh, before the Charleston tournament. Yeah. Uh, so enjoy JJ. And I should add, she talks about Maria Sharapova. It's pretty great. If you haven't, if that's not the hook, that should be the hook. So we're here with Yelena Yankovic. Hi, Yelena. Hi, people. <laughs> How do you feel at this moment? You seem pretty happy right now. You seem to be in a good place. Is that yes, fair? Yes, yes, it's fair enough to say that. There's a lot of players, Yelena, that have, we were talking to a few of them today, who said that they have problems kind of like showing their personality. They, they you know, do? Yeah, because they maybe, you know, media get early in their career, they got bad media coverage or something, so they feel shy or they feel too careful with their language and things like that. You don't seem to be someone who's ever worried about that <laughs> no. or concerned about it. And no. I'm kind of like, I'm like, why? Like, how come you have that confidence? Like, where does that come it's, from? It's, just not, it's it not the confidence. It's, it's just basically being myself. And um, to me, I, I'm a very emotional pers person and I'm very sensitive at the same time. Um, I have that strong facade that, you know, people yeah. see on the tennis court that I yell, I, I do, um, you know, some stuff that, that is not at times nice to see. Uh, but on the inside, I'm very sensitive and very too sensitive, you know, for my own good. So once the you know the people get to know me, they they will they will understand. But I think it's important to to be really to show the real you, uh, you know, with all your you know uh, good qualities and your flaws. I mean your weaknesses. There is nothing wrong with that. It's you know I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm just being myself, and I'm not afraid to show it. And that that's that's how I am and how I function. You cannot please everyone. There's there going to be people that don't like you, don't like my style, don't like the way I, whatever I do things, the way I act, but that's fine too. It's it's part of, of life. I think there are a lot more people who are really, like, yeah, really impressed, like, really, like, I wouldn't say worship you, 
but people like put Some you do. on this throne. What people do? They say like you're like the a queen figure on the tour. It's like majestic I person. I don't know. Just the way you ha the way you carry yourself and just the confidence and the I don't know the sort of like, like I said. It's it's not it's not the confidence. It's it's um I just I have respect for people. I try to be you know nice to to people, respectful. And at the same time, just just be myself. And I don't like acting yeah. and being someone that I'm not. Um, that's not in my, uh, you know, on, on my daily agenda. <laughs> Other than if I was uh, being hired or offered a role, then I would do such thing. Uh, other than that, the the real JJ, <laughs> the JJ from the block. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the JJ, the J Law from the block. Like, don't be fooled by the rocks that I got. I'm still, I'm still JJ from the block. I used to have a little, now I have a lot. <laughs> but I'm still the real me. That's it. <laughs> that was tremendous. That's it. Amazing. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, in terms of the sensitivity and, and, and things oh. like that, I guess that is something that people don't think about that, like, deep down under it all. Like, what, yes. what's sensitive about yeah. what? Just, like emotionally sensitive? Yeah, but because it sounds like you think you have a lot of haters. Uh, I don't think you really no. do. No, 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 no. It's uh, because people do, do not get a chance to know us uh, personally. Yeah. Because uh, the, the person that, you, that they see on the tennis court is completely different to how we are, you know, when we step off that tennis court. It's completely different because when you're competing, you're in that zone, you're in your own world, you, you're fighting, you're, you're battling, you're, you want to win your match. You're really grinding. So you kind of, like I said, in your own universe that then you're trying to find a way, find keys to, to get through. So that's completely a different you, different story out there. But as soon as you step outside, you're someone else like the person who has respect, who, who is genuine, who is kind, who, is, who has different qualities that you don't get to show while you're out there. So that's, you know, of course you're going to have haters and that's fine. It's nothing wrong with that because those people that maybe hate me, uh, I would love for them to have a reason for that. Because, it, you know, if, if they don't have a reason, a particular reason to hate me, then I think there's something wrong in their minds. And I mean, why would you hate someone? Why would you kind of carry such bad feelings? And the word hate is quite, uh, you know, strong. A, a strong word. I think in my, in my opinion, in order to hate someone, that person really has to do something bad to you. You may dislike someone, or maybe do like whatever, how they look, how they behave. But that's, you know, to hate, it's, it's I think, too tough a word to, to say it. So haters to the left, says JJ. <laughs> no, but it, I, I think that just because I don't, I maybe I'm brought up in, in a way that I don't hate people. It's, it's just, if I don't like someone, I just distance myself from mm -hmm. that person. Yeah. I just isolate myself and I... And I don't wish that person anything bad. I just, I wish them all the luck in the world, but I just don't feel comfortable in their company for whatever reason. Sure. So that's it. But I don't have bad intentions. I don't wish them anything. I just live my own uh, life and I try to be 
a good person myself. That's it. So that's how I kind of function. That's how I'm, I'm taught, how I'm brought up in, in my family. You, speaking of getting brought up, you were in the Balotary Academy mm -hmm. when you were from a young age. Looking back on that now, what that is like as a kid, this sort of immersive, competitive environment that you're in with some other players, some people who are on tour now and some people who never made it onto tour. Yeah. What, what do you, how do you look back on that experience? That's to be positive, a very, negative. very intense it sort was, of thing. It was a positive, it was a very positive experience because um, at the time, and believe it or not, when I was, uh, I think I was 12 and a half, 13 years old, I was an introvert. I did not speak. I was very shy, maybe because I did not speak English, and I was thrown in, in into another planet. Um, I come from Serbia, and I was just—it was my first time to to arrive, you know, in, in Florida, and just overall be surrounded, being surrounded by people I, I've never seen or met before. I did not speak the language. It was so tough. Um, so I learned to to kind of stand up for for my rights, for you know, for who I am, and and I learned to fight. I learned to to compete. You know, no matter the the girl or boy was tall or skinny or or big or whatever age he he or she was, I competed against anyone, and uh, I think that's something that that was you know priceless that you couldn't, you know, mimic or do anywhere else uh, other than there. And as well, you know, the, the coaching and the advice and, the, you know, the, the knowledge that I, that I picked up, that I got over there was, was very good as well. So uh, overall it was a great learning experience, a great for my overall development and, and improvement uh, in my young career. Do you remember any of those fights in particular? You were there at the same time as, like, Sharepova, Maria, I think. You remember playing her yeah. when you were a kid? Yeah, we were playing, yeah. Remember, she was cheating it. <laughs> <laughs> you guys you know, your own lines. I mean, I mean, we were calling our own lines, and she was cheating all the time. <laughs> and and I, I did not cheat, you know, but she was, you know, with some of those close calls. She wanted to, you know what, it, it, I will tell you honestly, I mean, she's such a champion, and... Uh, from a young age, she wanted to win so bad, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, and especially when you're calling your own lines, yeah. I mean... You do what you gotta do. <laughs> you, you do what you gotta do. And, and Maria, if you're listening to this, I think she'll admit it too. Maybe not. <laughs> you can rest assured that Maria's not listening to our podcast. Oh my goodness, but that's funny. <laughs> No, but she, I mean, it, it was fun. I mean, it was, you know, I think that group uh, that I grew up playing against and playing with, practicing with, was amazing. A lot of us. Who were some of the others? Tatiana Golovin, Jamia yeah. Jackson, um, from the men. I mean, they were a little bit older, but Xavier Malise. You played against boys there, too, right? I played against boys, too. I would bet against them as well. They, they would freak <laughs> out. Like I, I would get like 20, 20 bucks and uh, I would buy donuts in school. And I was toothpick skinny. My legs were like toothpicks. I looked like I was not eating at all like, and I did not eat at the time. I don't know what happened to me now, but back then I was not eating anything. My old, I was only buying donuts in school. Uh, yeah, I would bet to win, to get money, to buy candy and donuts in, you know, in the, you know, when you, when you have that break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and you, there's like all the, the cart comes with the, yeah. all these things and I was buying the, those sweets. Not you still like right. donuts? I still love donuts, but uh, now I have a special diet that I, I try to follow. I do not eat sugar. At least I try not to. Did you ever try the gluten-free thing? I, I'm not allergic to gluten. Yeah. Yeah. So I can eat gluten, but I sugar is not good for me okay. and milk. So I try to stay away from those... Uh, that kind of um, uh, food. And I was doing quite well, uh, you know, in the last couple of days I've been kind of screwing around a little bit. <laughs> but that's fine too, I Are mean, I'm human. Because you're in Charles, you like the well, food the here? the player party had I had fried the chicken the other, uh, the other day. Okay. You know, I was, I was brought up in, in some kind of uh, uh, traditional, I was brought to a traditional like southern, southern yeah. restaurant, so of course I had to try some uh, southern food and yeah. fried chicken. Fried. I had also uh, one an, another, uh, one more night uh, shrimp and grits. Yeah, yeah. it was you awesome. Like it? Yeah, was good. so That's good. That right? was really good. I mean. It looks suspicious. You're like, I it did don't know. It, it, no, it's but so it, it was so tasty. I enjoyed it very much. So, you know, everyone, it's fine. You know, every once in a while to kind of give yourself a break. Do you think that being in the academy and competing with everybody all the time made you better prepared for, for tour, that you're not overwhelmed by, you know, the girls who are overly competitive or maybe keep themselves or not always friendly, that you're just sort of used to it now and you're like, okay, I can, I can survive in this world and be yeah. fine. Um, yeah, I mean, if you made up your mind to become a professional, uh, you would, you have to know already ahead of time what you're getting yourself into. It's a professional sport, you're going to have a lot of pressure, you're going to have um, sometimes uh, not so nice things uh, happening to you that you have to deal with, but that's fine, I mean, it's, it's, um, if you have um, a great uh, supportive system, uh, your team that, that that's with you, that I mean, you just go, you do your job, you you enjoy yourself, you you compete around the world. I mean, what more can I ask for? I get paid for what I do, and I get to run off the balls, hit balls, compete in some of the most beautiful places in the world. People applaud when you win your points, when you win your matches. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, I, I get to spend time on, you know, outdoors. I get, it's just unbelievable. I, what more can can you ask for? For, as long as you're healthy. I mean, it's it's a, uh, it's a uh, yes. It's sometimes it's tiring, and you know, you have days when you go to to bed and everything is achy. But that's why we have now all these ice baths <laughs> and uh, all, the all the, you know, the modern way of uh, recovering. Um, that's that's nice that you know that you know the you know back back in the years we had no ice baths. Nobody, no one knew that to do those <laughs> yeah. things. You it's know, true. If anything, it was take a hot bath. You I know? mean, yeah, we. Would, so. yeah. But uh, before we go, one of the last questions: rate Ben oh, as a tennis player. As one who has actually, hit I will tennis tell balls you, I will, uh, you know, people. <laughs> so he was the only one that was winning points against me in Indian Wells, 
my how is that my pre I've seen Ben play my, tennis he, he was awesome he was giving all these like <laughs> slices and volleys and stuff like that it was unexpected you know coming from his racket and I was confused confused that's how I went I mean, about he I mean, he, I mean, he, he, he kind of Nicolescued <laughs> me on the court like I was completely confused and um and I lost all my points against him. I could not win one. Uh, I think maybe the last one that I really tried so hard. It was like, it was because I was so embarrassed that I kept losing against him and that I was winning against everyone else. So I had to win that last one. And then you made the final that week. And I made the final. And I almost, I should have won that tournament because I was so close. You were. But um, yeah, so him and Halep were the ones that beat me in the loss. Yeah. That's it. Nice so now one. you know it. Yeah. Breaking news. Breaking news. Thank you very much, Joanna. Thank you very much, Jay. Thank you. Always. Thank you very much, Yelena. Now, to stay true to ourselves even more, we decided to do one of our core features, which was back in episode one, which is Take a Number. It was an idea I guess I had before the first episode when we were like, well, what should we do in a tennis podcast? And I wanted to inject some degree of randomness in it. I guess there's some sort of appreciation for all the, uh, all of God's creatures out there in the top 100. <laughs> and so Take a Number was born, and we pick a number between 1 and 100 and talk about that player. For episode 100, we agreed to do number 100. We don't know who this is yet, so we're not gonna look. We haven't looked. We're using the rankings of the week of Charleston, so they haven't come out yet for the next week, so that's the rankings we're using. Let's find out, just by scrolling, who is number 100. People like when we get low numbers, so we're just torturing ourselves. I have no idea who this is gonna be. Episode number 100. Person number 100 on the ATP side is do do do. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> Why did we do this? So this was such a bad idea. We got this person before. <laughs> oh, it was the person above him we would be able to do stuff. But no, episode 100 will be again featured. Who's been on take number before? Alejandro Gonzalez. Who, if you remember the last time, we had nothing to say about this person. Like, less than nothing. I still don't have anything to say about Alejandro Gonzalez. Um, I know what he looks like now, at least. Uh, yeah, he's ranked 100, career high number 70. Uh, Before we get too into him, let's let's find out about who, who the wim- woman is. Maybe we can do something with her. Uh, the woman ranked number 100, as Courtney scrolls down, is... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Katarina Kozlova. And again... Oh, I wish it was 99. If we'd done 99, we would have had Putin, Seva, and Bedene, who we could both talk about. Talk about for hours, but, but no. No, we don't get nice things. We get Kozlova and Gonzalez. Uh, let's start with Kozlova, because I know even less about her. I know that she's Ukrainian, which it says on her ranking page, so that wouldn't have been impressive. Um, that's not. She has a very sultry uh, photo on a yellow background as her profile. It's a bit different looking. Um, and she is a player who I've seen in qualies and never paid much attention to. Um, beyond that, uh, she qualified for Indian Wells and Miami this year. That's pretty good. She beat Heather Watson this year in Dubai, so that probably made a BBC article. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say about this person. Yeah, I really don't know what to... I, I have to confess, I don't believe that I have seen Kozlova play or strike a tennis ball. If I have, it would have been in complete passing uh, while I was watching her play someone else. I'm sure if we were British, we would know everything about Katarina Kozlova because she did play Heather Watson and surely 
uh, people did watch that match in Dubai, which uh, Kozlova won uh, in straight sets. But yeah, I got I got nothing, Ben. She beat she says a, a couple of okay wins. She beat Kirsten Flipkins at Hobart this year, and so she's done some things. Uh, it doesn't look like she played Australian Open qualifying at all, which is kind of weird. I guess she made it deep enough in Hobart that she missed the cut, or didn't miss the time to do that. So that's a little unfortunate for her. Uh, let me just sort of tangent this. I feel like we're best at tangenting off this. I'm gonna wish we were talking about Katarina Bondarenko, who is another Ukrainian Katarina. There were four moms on the tour, on the in the tournament in Charleston this week. Uh, Bondarenko, Rodina, Tatiana Maria, and Casey Delacqua. Yay for moms. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I am sitting in complete silence. Moms are great. Who doesn't love moms? We all have one. Yeah. They're all pretty great, I think, generally Everybody speaking. has a mom. Everyone has a mom. Uh, moms are cool. You know who else has a mom? Who's that? Alejandro Gonzalez. Yes, let's talk about him. He would probably call her like mama or madre if you were being. I not... would probably think madre. Madre. Maybe. Although that's th- very that's formal. Very that's like formal. mother. Yeah, it's like mother. Like mommy, like mommy, like M A M I. Yeah, it would be like yeah, it would be like Buster Bluth's like mother. <laughs> okay, so he's Ale... from Army Mother. Alejandro Gonzalez um, is from Colombia. Uh, Medellin, Colombia. He is a tall guy. Seems unusual for a clay quarter, even though it really isn't. Um, what do I remember about Alejandro Gonzalez? I remember one time in Miami, he got picked to do the tournament of the Dolphins thing, which shows you how Latin that tournament is, that he would ever get considered for that. <laughs> um, he beat Fanini at the Australian Open this year. That's a real thing. I mean, everyone's beaten Fanini at some point, but he got his turn. Yeah, I think this is pretty remarkably impressive that we have nothing for this taken number and we kind of deserve it we came into this episode of flying pretty high we got we were a little yeah exactly yeah we got we we came in a little too cocky i think into this take a number segment i think that looking at it in the abstract we were thinking maybe we might get taylor towns we knew she was around there she was around there um, I don't know what we thought we were going to get on the ATP side. But like but... I said, if it was 99, we would have been money. Yeah. But we just happened to get 100, and so it didn't work out. So it just shows you the sort of luck that's involved in tennis and in podcasting about tennis sometimes when you put yourself under these strange parameters. Exactly. Exactly right. So that will finish up. Take a number. Thank you very much, Katarina Kozlova and Alejandro Gonzalez. I'm sure this has meant the world to you. <laughs> Segwaying to our next guest, who has had his ranking go all over the place, Ernest Golbis. Yay, we got Ernest Golbis for the podcast, you guys. And we were pretty excited about it because actually the way that the interview occurred, it actually happened in Indian Wells. Um, for those of you who are Ernest Golbis uh, aficionados, you know that Ernest Golbis did not get too far in the draw. But he did win Indian a match. Wells. He won a match. Which was more than he's done anywhere else this year. Yes, he won a match. Then I believe he lost to Juan Monaco. Um, but he was in doubles, and we had kind of asked, you know, if he'd be interested in doing this for us. And uh, initially, there were some discussions of, yeah, that could happen. Let's see. We'll, we'll do it after his doubles match. He, Ernie lost his doubles match. And, you know, I mean, in the course of getting these guest uh, players onto the show, one of the things that is kind of a tricky thing in terms of scheduling it and, and kind of, quote unquote, booking them 
is this idea of, you know, the player kind of has to be on. They have to be into it. Like, we don't, this isn't a press conference where it should be mandatory and they show up and they're monosyllabic. Right. That doesn't really work for anyone. So we were kind of furiously emailing with the ATP, who was being the intermediary between us and Ernie, saying, you know, if he's not into it, he's just lost. He went straight to the practice court to practice for a his, couple his of hours. His year is falling apart. His year is in the slump. And, and yeah. we weren't really going to talk about any of that. But we were just like, if he's not into it, please do not bother Ernie. We'll try and save it. We'll do it at another time. Because you don't want to burn all your chips at once. Right. But somehow, it's still, we were kind of trying to chase, literally physically chase down the ATP guy, Nicola Arzani, our good buddy, um, to kind of tell him, you know, don't worry about it. We don't have to talk to Ernie. But when we found Nicola, he was with Ernie in the player lounge. You know, we I kind of turned to Ernie and said, hey, if seriously, if you don't want to do this, we don't have to do it. We can do it some other time because we don't want you to be, feel like you feel compelled to. Yeah. And Ernie basically said like, well, let's try it for like five minutes. And then if I'm not in the mood. I'll say stop, you know, yeah. end this. And he did, spoiler, he does not do that. He was very interesting. It was interesting talking to him. I think in a little, not that he's ever really super jokey. I mean, he's someone who's funny without ever being, you know, ridiculously goofy. I would never call Ernie goofy. Um, but he was a bit more somber, I think, in moments of this, while still having a lot of his same character and stuff. So that's just the context of this conversation to know what sort of mood he came into, what the setting was, timing like that. So yeah. I think it wound up being a very interesting, obviously with him, thoughtful, uh, thought-provoking, uh, independent free thinking, yeah. all the things you want from Goldbus, I think he delivered on. So. And, and one of the things that I really like about the conversations with Ernie, I've, I've done a few interviews with him for uh, Sports Illustrated, but one of the things that I really do like about it is that you can actually easily get into a deep dive with him on any sort of topic. He, he does actually, because he's so intellectually curious, he's very smart and he's very philosophical about a lot of different things, that he's willing to go deep on certain subjects. So I think that with this interview, what I really enjoyed about it, and you'll hear it. I mean, you'll hear you'll hear Ernie challenge me in some of the premises of my questions. Yeah, you'll me hear too. it from from uh, with Ben as well, and it's really kind of a true debate discussion about a lot of different things, um, and uh, it gives you a lot of insight. I think um, into Ernest Golbus, into particularly from my perspective, just why he does what he does, why he plays the game um, when, let's face it, he doesn't have to, and to give him and Ernie as we walked away said I want that unedited do not edit it so this is Ernie Gold or Ernest Golbus unedited right down to us being interrupted by Novak Djokovic's PR guy so if you hear some banging it's because he was like shooting hoops um on this arcade thing behind him so it's we're gonna leave it in because Ernie told us to but uh yeah it's uh, it's a pretty good talk so there enjoy Ernie so Courtney you asked the question I'll, or I'll repeat it because it was good who is Ernest Golbus right now Right now or yesterday or, or, or tomorrow? Right now. Whenever? Whenever. I have no idea. None? No idea. No clue. I think that's the biggest uh, question which uh, every person asks to him. Who am I? What am I? Why am I? If somebody found an answer for this, please introduce me to this person. I would <laughs> love to talk to him. People seem like to have a tough time or people want to seem to try to figure you out more than most players. People have a lot of ideas. Which people? Writers, fans. tennis fans, whoever. People, people are... You think, more. you think I have many fans? Yeah, no, yeah you do. dude, you I think, do. I think I need to open up uh, some accounts in some uh, virtual world to see virtually my fans. Maybe. You don't feel mm. it? You don't feel the love? I feel the love in certain places. 
think that uh, actually in the States, uh, the fans are more open. I feel it. You yeah. know, I, for, for sure, I feel uh, love in, in France, you know, where I played well. You yeah. feel the love where you played well. It's normal. Yeah, but then when you feel, since you're not on social, well, I think you're on social media, you just don't do anything. No, with I have it, right? a Facebook uh, profile, but. Uh, for for just friends and private yeah some some people are there who yeah. i don't even know but uh, i don't really use it but so in terms of like feeling the love and what it means like is that like fans showing up to your practice is it cheering like how do you how does it translate to you Feel the, feeling the love that, that <laughs> <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. No, that that, uh, that that people try to help me and not disturb me while i'm doing my job yeah. it's also in a way that uh, fans uh, appreciate what you're doing and you know, I don't want fans to interrupt my practice, interrupt my match, interrupt anybody's match. I want that the crowd is well educated because tennis is is, uh, is a different uh, sport. Uh, it's a big most. difference, a big difference between tennis and any team sport. You know, for yeah. example, if you watch golf, you know the people know exactly how to to behave and in certain moments uh, in tennis people don't know how to behave for example i played uh, in australia first round this year people didn't know how to behave and doesn't uh, doesn't really help us you know yeah. i mean you're pretty traditional on that i talked to you last year i was going to start about crowd noise i think and you're somebody who does like for all the people who might see you as some sort of a rebel or something you do like the the tradition of, of tennis we, he's uh, he's deserving us, huh? Yeah. Chef! Chef! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> to recap, for those of you who heard Ernest Gomez just, just threw a ball. <laughs> and we're, having a we're having a radio uh, discussion. <laughs> that, see, I'm that's sorry. what we're talking about. Behavior interrupting you. People just, it just happens everywhere. It just happens. No, but I have no problem. This was, this is no problem. No. Yeah, we can we can talk a lot. You know, somebody somebody doesn't uh, doesn't see it this way. Some I, I think that Query once uh, said that he would like that the fans are are, are cheering during the point or something like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wouldn't like it. Yeah, because it's just the fo- because you're not used to it though. Because like in other sports, like let's say we talk about baseball, mm-hmm. where you have a pitch, it's coming, it takes the, ima- the same type of you know reaction time, focus to hit that ball. I think that Things you going should on, to keep uh, certain traditions. I think that you should to keep Wimbledon all white, mm. and the same as you should to keep uh, fans in a certain way of behavior, as well as you do uh, you control in a certain way players. Mm. We get fined when we break a racket, we get fined when we say a bad word. And yeah. uh, for example, why a spectator uh, can do this? Do, do I, had, I had spectators who are saying bad words, you know, during the match, you know, not not very often and, and not very loudly, so the umpire cannot hear it. But these, these, are, these are all small details, you know, I, I just don't, don't want it, you know, I want to keep tennis uh, as it is with uh, with its traditions, you know. Do you, do you think that's football culture bleeding into tennis? That when we talk about different sports, right? Like in a, in the states, we don't really have that sort of. I mean, we do have heckling culture. I think that's but uh, I, don't know. The, I think that's American culture in general. What that we're just. I think that yeah, that uh, because uh, America is very uh, sports-oriented nation, mm-hmm. you know, probably most than everybody, and uh, you make a show out of anything. Yeah. You know, yeah. you make a really great shows. So for example, I, I enjoy going to an NBA match and feeling the atmosphere there with the music, with the, with the nightclub atmosphere when they start the match, you yeah. know, and uh, 
Tennis is different, but we need to keep uh, the difference in these sports. Mm -hmm. You know, we 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 don't want uh, to make everything the same. You know, I I, I would definitely not, uh, not 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 like it. I think it surprises people a lot when they think of Ernest Golbus traditionalist. Do you I think people that, do, I think people do see label? you as being I'm, as being I'm different. Very, I'm very I have no I have I'm very open to anything, to any suggestion, to anything. I don't have black or white. I always gray. Light gray, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, it's 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 not uh, not always black or white. I can say what I would like to have, and that's just what I would like to have. I would like to have tennis in its traditions, but let's move on. It's. Uh, I think I think people try to describe you a lot of different ways, and I don't know how you feel about those ways. Some people say that I you're. I don't know how people okay, try okay, to describe I'll give me. you a few words, okay? If someone says you're unpredictable, I think it's like, a very good quality. Yeah, it's something you're proud of. I'm not proud of, my, of any of my qualities, but I think that's an interesting quality to have. Yeah. Who, would you, who, would you, who would you like to uh, go to dinner with? With an unpredictable guy or a predictable guy? Depends on if predictable veers into danger, <laughs> which I don't think you do. I think I think for now, it's, I would How do you know? I don't know. <laughs> we didn't go to dinner yet. Okay. <laughs> if you're asking, Ma we can do Mason it. Mason Applebee's this year. We'll, we'll do an unpredictable dinner at the no, Mason we, Applebee's. No, that's too predictable. <laughs> we, we do an unpredictable place. This is And true. we act predictably, so we are unpredictable in that. There Fair enough. Fair what, enough. What, what do you make when people say that you're kind of crazy on court? And people look at you smashing rackets and saying that you're... Crazy. Does that feel year, fair also, or does this, it feel not? This year, uh, again, craziness, I think, is in a, in, a, in a small doses, it's a very good thing. Yeah. I'm always for that, uh, that everybody has their own character and everybody acts. Uh, you, 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 you don't go overboard on some things, you know, you don't respect uh, uh, your opponent, you don't respect the sport, you know, you don't respect the crowd, yeah. you know. These are the things which you don't do, for me at least. You know, I have these kind of morals and principles, and I'm. I think I never did it, you know, if somebody uh, saw me doing something on the border, you know, but that's their uh, sick interpretation of that. So I, I, I try to always have it on uh, on border. The emotions on court, uh, in a way, you know, I I never get disqualified for that's that. True. I always were on the, on the border. I got a point penalty, you know, a couple of times in my career, but uh, never more, you know, so I'm playing on the edge with the, with the, with the rules. That's in a way interesting. I don't want to do it every time, and I'm trying to keep my emotions to a Roger Federer like, <laughs> <laughs> like a poker. A predictability? Face. That's predictability. Federer is pretty predictable with his emotions. Yeah. yeah. Don't you think? If you say so. Yeah. How about when people? How about when people say? <laughs> how about when people? That was very good. How about when people you say learned. that? How about when people say that you're? <laughs> That's it is. Um, how about people say that you're smart? A lot of people talk about how you're like the smart player and that you read and that you're cultured and like art. <laughs> if they things. see me playing, they don't think that I'm smart. They, oh. they, think, they think that I'm crazy. How 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 can people say that I'm smart if they know me only by my tennis court actions? Where you said that I'm crazy? Yeah, it can be both. Crazy and smart can definitely go together. Well, like when you get into arguments, quote unquote, with umpires, they're mm -hmm. pretty well reasoned. You're not like making some crazy off-the-wall arguments, it's calm. That's why I have a very, very good relationship with every umpire. Very good relationship. Yeah. I think that they like me if you ask around. I think that they really like me. Yeah. And I like most of them, you know. And uh, If I get too emotional on the match, I always uh, go after the match and apologize, you yeah. know. But uh, they always take it well and, and, and we can have a laugh afterwards. It's just, 
it's, it's, uh, it has to be respectful, you know, and if it gets uh, emotional on the court, it, uh, tennis is not all your life, you know. I don't like when people are uh, acting outside of the court like they're acting on the court. You know, you see players walking around like they're, uh, you know, king of the world, you know, but uh, it's okay, you're king of the tennis court. Outside of the tennis court, you know, you're just a normal person, you know, and then you need to prove to everybody that you're also king outside of the court. Right. You know, but just with that attitude that I'm just better because I'm a better tennis player, it's not an argument for me at all, you know. Yeah. I cannot respect a person just because he's a good tennis player. I can respect him as a tennis player, but not as a person. And this is a big difference with uh, what people on the tour, especially young players coming up, they don't understand. I saw many changes in a lot of young... Uh, young players coming up you know uh, they, they change you know and, right. and of course you have to change in a way don't don't stick to, to it as again as black and white right but uh, I think that you need to keep your true identity inside uh, for the rest of your life what do you what do you look for in, in, a, in a player as a person I guess like how do you because I don't look for anything no I can only look for myself but to, to the rest it, it, it doesn't really I couldn't I, I don't care. I mean, because like on the women's side, for example, there are a bunch of players who make a point of never talking to anybody and keeping completely in their own world. And it seems like the men, <laughs> you're smiling at that. <laughs> Is that something you would like to do? Or I mean, it seems like the men are much more social or much more open to getting to know each other, to learning about each other. It seems like part of... Or is it, that a myth? Is it just that they just talk forehands and backhands and I don't know? I also don't know. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I... I I, I never really thought about it. If, if uh, for sure, women's tennis is something very extraordinary because they, when they go on court, they really uh, hate each other. Yeah. Men don't have this, you know. Men, uh, it's like a, it's like a fight, but after the fight, you can shake it off, you know, and you can say thanks, you know, and good luck, and it doesn't really bother for for outside of course. So in that case, probably yeah, men have more. Uh, they're more open towards friendship on tour. Friendship on tour. I have good relationships with some players, but uh, I don't think that it's really friendship because uh, I think it's very tough to develop friendship in a, such a competing competing right. sport and competing environment. Going back to what you were saying before, because I'm curious, you, so you want kind of tennis to respect its traditions and its history and kind of its, uh, I don't know, like, yeah, no yelling during points, things like that. Then things can change, yeah, but but definitely I would like that your it, it keeps your that tennis keeps its identity, that right. it doesn't go in the way of, uh, of uh, let's say, NBA, NBA yeah. for example. Right, you know? right. But then, like, you, you know, you had those comments a few years ago about about wanting to see more honesty, wanting to see maybe a little bit more fight, like, you know, like the Agassi years but, or uh, going honest, back to Connors, honest, exactly, back yeah, But it doesn't go in contradiction with each other. Okay, how not? Why, why not? Why yes? Well, because if you have, if you encourage that sort of on-court sort of behavior, right, like if you go... McEnroe years, Connors. This is a great show, right? You see these mm -hmm. players out there getting pissed at each other. They're cursing at each other, etc., etc., etc. But I, I don't think that that was theater. You know, I just, uh, I just think that it was uh, who they were, and mm. they didn't so really you want, hide it. So you just want the authenticity within uh, the context of, like, the traditions of tennis. If you're I trying guess. to put uh, words in my mouth, then no, probably no, 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 no. Then yeah. probably I will agree on you. I agree with you. Yes, that uh, I think, uh, I think I want to see more 
authenticity, mm-hmm. as you said. Yeah, authentic. Authentic, you yeah. know, uh, because nowadays, you know, uh, the world is changing with, with all the, uh, as we talked about, uh, social media and uh, that basically you can be photographed at any given place, any time. Uh, you don't feel free, you know, and uh, and this is this is yeah this this somehow plays also in tennis. You know, everybody wants to be uh, better than they are. You know, like uh, that they they don't they're, they're scared to show their true emotions. You know, and, and that's not who they are. But it's nothing to do with traditions of tennis. Right. Okay. You know, traditions of tennis is something else. You know, and emotions on court and who you are. You know, it's again something else. So I wouldn't mix these two things. Right. You, you heard like Andy Murray, for example, talks a lot to himself, mutters during points, and says some mm-hmm. some choice words which mm-hmm. might not be proper appropriate for television all the time. But then he gets annoyed. There are microphones all over the court, all over the mm-hmm. back, and there's mm-hmm. not really, and he feels restricted. By that, do you feel the same way too? That you know, you know that everything you say. I have a beautiful. I have a beautiful thing is Latvian language. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there is uh, probably around. I don't know. I, I'm guessing right now, but probably not more than three or four million people talking in this language. Yeah. So, I can say stuff to that uh, small audience, and they're gonna feel proud of me because I'm in a way patriotic. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you have any? Do you have any? Do you have any, no do you have any favorite Latvian? curse words you want to share with our listeners i wouldn't like to share it no 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 it has to come emotional and uh, and curse words they're, they're like a, like an instrument you know if you're just cursing out of uh, out of uh, boredom you know like uh, people talk and curse all the time there's no use for that you know you yeah. use cur- curse words uh, as an instrument for example you want to get attention of your of, of of the person who you're talking to and what's a better way to to uh, to get his attention that he's concentrated fully on your conversation than to say some curse words? Yeah, it's the best attention, you know. You somehow wake him up. Yeah, you know. True. So this is this is like it's an instrument, you know. For example, in Russia, they have the the curse words are are, are very strong and very. You can basically talk only with curse words. You know, it's a big tradition. You know, it's yeah. uh, actually one uh, guy I have it at home. You know, he it's, uh, he, he he wrote a book. Uh, of uh, Russian curse words, history of Russian curse words, and there were three words, which was uh, meaning uh, genitalia of men, genitalia of women, and the process which <laughs> when they when they, <laughs> when they combine, you yeah. know. So these three words, you know. And he has a book Tell for. Tell us more. I don't understand what you're talking about. You understood exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. And then the, he has a book about one thing, about uh-huh. about one word, about. Okay. Uh, men's genital yeah. let's say and then he's going into history of it and then he goes what you can say uh, before that word after that word and stuff like that yeah. you know so you have thousands of different ways of saying it and he's a book for one word then he goes that's amazing next book, actually yeah. you know and it's a history of, of this you know so if you're using it right it first of all it's uh, in, in two cases you have to use it or to get attention uh, of your, uh, yeah. uh, your conversation partner yeah. your yeah. conversation partner or uh, in a joke sense, yeah. and all th- and all the uses are, are the wonderful in their own no, way. No, only two uses. Uh, okay. The rest of the uses, not if you're just, just not if just pure anger, lazy, pure emotion. Yeah. That that's laziness to you to just curse like, you know, you miss a ball and you just curse to the sky. You you can do this. You can't do this. This is not uh, not uh, not my problem. Sure, but, sure. Uh, sure. But uh, it's no use in it. Right. There's no you know? purpose. There's exactly. Okay. No purpose. There is purpose if you make it funny or if you're trying to get attention. Then right. it can be pers- purposeful. Right. Why to do something where it's not purpose? And I'm doing something unpurposeful all the time. <laughs> 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 
do you feel do you feel of frustration i mean i feel like in tennis it's All sort of time. built i feel like it's built around frustration <laughs> that tennis tournaments i mean they have this in like if you're in like a game for you know any normal soccer match whatever half the players win one half the players lose here you have 96 players in the draw mm -hmm. 95 of them have to lose mm -hmm. in order for the event to happen it seems unnecessarily cruel on some level that they keep inflicting losing on you guys over and over again tennis and only pro, and only only one person only one person gets to have a good week it seems or or one person can be like i guess it was okay at the end i mean yeah, but that's that's uh, also the beauty of it you know there's the toughness of the sport and only the best survive if you have a, a war if somebody kills you, you're dead for basically rest of I don't know yeah. for your <laughs> life or, 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 or for a very long period of time. <laughs> yeah, depending you know? on religious, depending on religious. Sure. So it's even worse. So yeah. tennis, if we if we analyze it that way, is probably the closest thing to to a war what it can get. I remember you talking about that here last year with me when we were talking about uh, Batista Agut, who you'd had some conversations with during matches, been a conversation partner. Um, he was in saying that there's a mental battle to tennis that you feel ready for I mean how much is that part of it and I guess in keeping with what you said about ATP where at the end everyone can kind of be friends I mean how do you balance that that conflict and then the peace afterwards uh, I can only balance it towards uh, on myself I cannot talk about anybody else uh, I try to get into people's heads definitely yeah. on the court Maybe even off the court with some joke, with some yeah. uh, with some comment. You know, this is uh, this is part of part of the game. Somebody is completely out of it. Somebody uh, abstracts himself out of it. You know, he doesn't answer. Somebody gets into it, and then you already got into his head. Okay, yeah. this is all fun and games. You know, you always have to be respectful, but you you make your own rules. You know, you live by your own rules. You live by your own morals, but by, by by your own principles. You know, and, and nobody can really tell where is the where is the borderline. If you if you don't feel the borderline, that then nobody is gonna talk to me on tour, you know. But uh, fortunately or unfortunately, you know, I have some people still talking to me on tour. <laughs> Somehow, I, it's a I, miracle. I, 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 I'm curious what that what that mental like what sort of mental stuff happens before? Is it when you're about to play the person, or when it's just somebody around you might play later? I'm curious how the mental game gets played because we the part that we don't see on court because we see what happens on court, but curious about what sort of stuff you think happens off court it's a good question I'd uh, I'll give you just a couple examples uh, if we look at the top players okay, okay. if we look for example uh, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic you know how they act how they walk around how they it, it's in a way you feel you know most of the players it's like uh, you don't want to bother them, you know. Yeah. In a way, you're you're still friendly. They always say hi. They're very respectful to everybody. But but you're in a way, if you're ranked lower, you know, you you like intimidated. It's Mr. Yeah. Mr. Djokovic going. You know, I, 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 should I say hi or should I not say hi? You yeah. know, you feel intimidated, and that's also in a way it's a mind game. You know, when you walk on court, you're in a losing position. Yeah. And if you stand up for it, if you show him, listen, I don't care who you are, you know, I'm ready to beat you, you know, that's, uh, that's uh, again, another, another story, you know, and then you can put the pressure on him, you know, that, listen, I'm not, uh, I'm not afraid of you, you know, yeah. so, so then, 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 like, this it starts the mind games, you know, because most of the players, when they go, like, when they, when they meet the top guys, uh, they're losing the match uh, already before, before it happens, you know, so you think this is, this is just 
an example. Yeah, I don't know if yeah, it's no, cool but though. it's a good one because you do see that when you walk through the player lounge, right? You see the different, you know, especially the top players. They have their entourages. They're kind of walled off in the corner mm-hmm. or things mm-hmm. like that. Do you think that they get used to that? That you know that they get used to kind of that buffer, that uh, space that all the other players kind of afford them, so that it's when you do encroach it, when you do step into it, and you know treat them like a normal person, that it does kind of jar I them a little know. bit. Yeah, yeah I guess we'd have to ask them. I don't know. Yeah. Did you did you feel yourself changing at all from I guess because you had a big success obviously at the French Open last year, breaking the top ten, beating Federer to make the semifinals, all this stuff. Did you feel yourself tempted to act differently? After that? No. 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 Dif- dif- different is always good. Change is always good. You always have to change, but in the right direction. If you're an idiot, you're going to go in the wrong direction. If you're a normal guy, which I haven't decided yet and haven't understood <laughs> if I'm an idiot or if I'm a normal guy. Actually, I had a conversation with a friend of mine not so long time ago, actually in Marseille. And he told me about uh, three types of people. There is objective idiots, there is subjective idiots, and there are people who know. Objective idiots are people who didn't realize that they're yet idiots, okay. and they just live their life. Subjective idiots is uh, are people who understood that they're idiots, and they're willing to change. And there are people who know, people who know. You know? So, he asked me a question, uh, in which category do I put myself into? <laughs> And then, then I said, you know, that I'm a subjective idiot, you know, that I understood that I'm an idiot. And then when he asked me, when did it happen? <laughs> I said, actually, right now. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, so, so basically it. around two weeks ago, I understood that I'm an idiot and that I'm willing to change. That's uh, breaking news. <laughs> See, this, pod- this podcast is now breaking news. It's a good headline. Ernest Galvez, I'm an idiot, willing to change. <laughs> no, I'm a subjective idiot. Subjective. That I understand subjective. That's, that's right. right. Correct. That's right. Yeah, but, but, but self-awareness yeah. is important, though. But don't put these headlines. I'm But I have one question that I wanted to ask you and follow up to something from the French Open last year, where you were saying that like you got into tennis, obviously, and you were good at ball sports, your hands, you, it was all good. But like, why tennis? What is it about the sport that you actually love or enjoy that makes you play it is it the competition is it just hitting the, you know the pleasure of just hitting a ball is it the ch- I mean what mm-hmm. is it uh, I started playing tennis by chance uh, because my grandmother was a fan of tennis uh, I used to play a lot of basketball a lot of football my, my grandfather and, and father was bas- were basketball players and uh, they didn't want that I go to a team sport because they felt all the pressure and all the intrigues uh, which is in a team sport, you know, and they were a little bit tired of it, so they said, okay, let's send him somewhere individual. And my grandmother really liked tennis and she used to play tennis, so I went uh, and I started. And I never really had a doubt uh, that I'm going to make it uh, to be in the top 100. You know, never had a doubt, you know, I was playing, I was... 10 years old, you know, I'm, I'm watching all these guys who I cannot take a game from, you know, they're 14, 15 years old, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm completely confident that time will come, I'm going to beat everybody. I don't know from where it came. Okay. Maybe but that, it's but from... But that's, ta- that's about talent, though. That's like, do you play it because you were good at it? Or did you I think, play it I think that, you lo- like, first of all, I, have I, I had a good background, I have a strong background, you know, I have a confident mother, I have a confident grandmother, I have a confident father, so it, it puts uh, some kind of stamp on you also you know you 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 have to be confident you know so and then uh, i believe that i would be decent in any sport uh, 
maybe you know basketball because maybe I'm not tall enough but but who knows you know right. football maybe because I'm so tall you know so tennis I think I, I got lucky with the choice because I think that my body is well built for tennis you know mm-hmm. and uh, it was just a good choice you know a lucky choice and do you have a passion for it of course I have a passion for it you do of course what, I have a passion why? for it what about it that's what I'm kind of trying to drill down on like okay. what about the sport How nice, nice is not the right word, but how special uh, it is to be in the top 10 at uh, anything what you do in life, you know, and to have a chance to be the best in the thing what you do in the whole world. And that's the feeling, you know, which I'm looking for. And I don't know how it feels like to be the best in the world, but I want to have this feeling. Just to understand it, just for pure understanding, not for the fame, not for the money, not for nothing, just for pure understanding that, okay, right now I'm number one in the world, how does it feel? And what does it do to my conscience, to my thoughts, and for the rest of my life? That's it. And this is, let's say, the passion for it, and that's the motivation. And, of course, the tennis is, uh, it cannot be uh, a goal for rest of my life, because I have to understand and keep in mind that I can play another six, seven years, you know? Uh, that I need to grow as a person to to do something uh, else after tennis. I don't want to live on my past success, you know, all my life, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to move on. And what it's going to be is going to depend, first of all, on my tennis results. Uh, second of all, of how, how much could I achieve uh, in myself, you know. Because for me, it's a lot of change, a lot of adapting, a lot of breaking myself, you know. So this is a constant fight within myself, you know, and if I'm going to, prove to myself that I'm going to win this fight, for sure I'm going to prove to myself the next fight which I'm going to have when I'm 35 or 40 years old, when I have to do something maybe completely different, you know, not connected to sports at all, right. who knows, you know, then I know that I did it once, I can do it again. Yep. And that's just interesting, you know, just, just, that's just what, uh, what it's worth, what it's worth uh, fighting for, to prove yourself. You're, you're the only Latvian on tour, really. Um, ATP level for sure, obviously. <laughs> you are the number one Latvian. How, how, do you, how do you think? How do you think you've been Latvian number one for a while? I guess it's fair to say. Um, what? How does that influence how you approach the sport or your your life? We see it with other players. We talk about stereotypes about French players being full of style but not being able to win the big titles. Mm-hmm. We talk about you know Djokovic being from Serbia having something to prove, wanting to you know represent his country, which had a okay. reputation. Mm-hmm. I mean, how 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 does being Latvian because you're the only Latvian we really see here. How do you think it has uh, influenced how you've gone about your career? As, uh, you know, I think it has no difference if you're a Latvian tennis player or just a Latvian. Okay. You know, because it's just a mentality thing. And uh, this we can compare history-wise and, and geographical-wise was the difference between French people and, let's say, American people or Americans and Russians. And you can name thousands of differences, uh, thousands of things in common, and that's it, you know. And if you're a tennis player, or if you're a fisherman, or, or if you're whoever else, you know, a philosopher, it doesn't, uh, doesn't really matter, you know. It's, uh, it's just uh, the place where you spend most of your time and then your environment puts a big uh, mark on, your, on, on who you are. So, yeah. But you feel that when you go home, you feel like this is... You, you make more sense when you're at home, you know what I mean? You see yourself in your local surroundings, in your origin place, and it explains you a little bit, if that makes sense? No. Does, does Latvia explain me? 
I guess. I mean, if there's something when you go, when you go there, like if you, I if I went to Latvia, would not, I get a better not, understanding of you? Like if I, I would say I would say Latvia in a in a very small part, uh, but the family definitely. Yeah. You know, it's always first comes the family, then the country, then the right. planet, universe, whatever. Uh, first the family. If you meet my family, then and my friends, then for sure. You know. And we all live in Latvia, so so it's a small part of right. that. It's in everybody's, you know. So you can yeah, you can play with that. But that. if you go to Latvia and then you understand who am I, if you are very 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 sensitive in this, then then maybe <laughs> maybe who knows? People, commentators, I think John McEnroe in particular talked about your family and the, the money that your parents had made, as being somehow influencing your tennis career, or something about how you went about your life on tour do you think that's fair when people bring that up or do you think it's it's not relevant I think it's not relevant at all because sport is the only uh, thing in the world where money cannot buy you success yeah money cannot buy you wins that's it simple as that you know the, okay you you have a better coach you have a better better apartment to live in uh, you, look at uh, look at Novak for example He's number one in the world. Did he have a he have a uh, fortunate uh, childhood? You know, when it was uh, war going on or stuff like that. No, you know. For example, you can then uh, speak about okay, I'm uh, fortunate that my father worked from uh, basically 20 hours a day for for 15 years to make uh, money, and somebody else is just uh, lucky to born in uh, Canada or France or England or USA. And he gets everything paid by the federation. I didn't get uh, one cent in my life from Latvian government or Latvian federation. Not one cent. Who else is supposed to pay for me? My father. So I'm fortunate uh, that I have a father who is working his uh, ass off to make money. You know, uh, I don't even want to guess how much Canadian players are getting from their federations. Yeah. How much uh, Murray was getting from uh, from English federation. And who is more fortunate? Let them talk about uh, this, you know. So let's... Uh, was the equality? There is no no equality. Everybody fights uh, how he can, you know, and that's that's what it is. Cool. Thank you very much for this, Ernest. One last thing, we let uh, guests pick a, a song to play you out. What is what is the Ernest Colbus anthem or theme song or whatever you want to call it? Oh my God, I've, I have no. This is very difficult. I have a hole in my shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Are we still writing? We're, this? Still, yeah. we're still recording. <laughs> <It's perfect. laughs> so, what is my theme song? Okay, let me check on. Yeah, my take your time. Let me check on my. On my enormous phone. phone. Let the record reflect that Ernest Colbus has an enormous phone. <laughs> I, the last thing what I what I actually listen right now is uh, Kendrick Lamar new album. I just downloaded okay. it. Came out two days ago. We've had, you know, K Laura Robson was one of our guests a few years ago, and she picked Kendrick Lamar too. Who's Laura Robson? Laura Robson, the British tennis player. player. Yeah. Oh, happy for her. <laughs> so then I'm gonna change uh, change my Kendrick Lamar <laughs> to, some, <laughs> to something else. You have the same taste as an 18-year-old British girl. We're gonna change the taste a little bit, so I'm gonna put you. Okay, let's let's go for Philip Glass Symphony Number no. Seven, Toltec the Corn. Okay. Okay. Pump up music. Perfect. Got it. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much, Ernie.
So we wanted to do a little bit of like a retrospective on ourselves. One of the features we've done a couple times, which has been popular, was a segment called Remember When. And so we wanted to do like an Remember When NCR edition, just sort of very meta, us looking back on the show as we reach 100, uh, flipping over into triple digits, which we won't theoretically leave for another 900 episodes. So <laughs> Ish. 900-ish. Right, because, you know, we're going to start doing other sorts of ABC bullshit like usual. Uh, Courtney, what... What, what do you remember most about NCR? Like, what, in the times we've done this, what are your memories from the show? I remember, I think, well, for me, the first thing that kind of stands out is just how kind of logistically difficult it is every single week to kind of do this. I think that with Ben's job, with our jobs as tennis writers and that, you know, our travel schedules are not always the same and our sleep schedules definitely aren't the same and our we're on two different coasts. It's actually kind of a pain in the ass sometimes, honestly, to do the show from my perspective. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, the the week is over. Um, I want to just zone out, you know, on Mondays and Tuesdays. I have work to do for SI because that's some of our busiest days are Sunday, Mondays and Tuesdays. And the last thing that I want to do sometimes is like talk about something that I've already written about you know, all these sorts of things. But the thing about it is every single time, even though internally I bitch and moan about it, and I don't really bitch and moan about it too, Ben. I just bitch and moan about it in my head. <laughs> but like, but every single time, it, the whole conversation ends up being like a four to five hour thing anyway. Yeah. Like we just end up talking to each other about like everything. It'll be hopping on, we'll do the podcast. And then it's like two to three hours afterwards of like, so what's up? Or like, yeah. we just like end up chatting. And so... In a lot of ways, I know that, at least from my perspective, with my friendship with Ben, the podcast has been like a total boon in that way because it, you know, forces you sometimes to have the conversation that maybe, especially nowadays with technology, with texting and Twitter and Facebook, you kind of know what all your friends are up to. Yeah. But like Ben and I talk to Ben more than I talk to anyone in my life. And a lot of that is because right of, you know, like even more than my parents, more than my sister who lives across, you know, on the other side of the globe, um, friends that are, you know, back home in the Bay Area, whatever. I talk to Ben at least like two hours per week, like live. And that's like, you know, I think that that's definitely something that I've been very, very thankful for. So even though I bitch and moan about it, <laughs> and this is pretty indicative of our entire friendship, even if I bitch and moan and I'm annoyed half the time. It has worked out incredibly well. No, it does work out well and it gives us sort of a ritual to do with each other. Like I'm trying to think of like an analogy. Um, it's like cheers where you see the same people in the bar every day and you have this routine and you're like, I don't know, the Sex and the City girls who go to brunch constantly. Oh, this is so our brunch. <laughs> so our brunch. Uh, you're, su- you're such a Miranda, Courtney. Uh, yes. You're such a Samantha, Ben. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. At least you didn't call me Carrie. I know. She is the worst. Carrie's awful. She is the awful. Everyone who doesn't realize that Carrie is the worst needs to re-examine their lives. If you don't know if anybody in your group is a Carrie, it's probably you, (laughs) and I'm sorry. Because Carrie's are the absolute worst. And I don't mean to start the rant and rave section early, but Carrie's are the worst. That show is... My memory, I guess, was mostly just about the first time we did a show, or just the first time doing it. We, We had to come up with all this from scratch. We had to come up with a name... For the show, which I'm not sure we picked the right one, but we did okay. I mean, it wasn't been terrible. No I challenges like or anything. It's pretty good. Uh, we did come up with a format, a length. We did it over Skype. I mean, we did it pretty irregularly until pretty irregularly this, until this year. So. We didn't really. I mean, not that we didn't know the technology. I mean, I had done podcasts before 
uh, with so 40 Deuce. Yeah. And Ben had done them as well. But we were working, you know, we didn't know what it was going to be. And we didn't know if anybody was going to listen. So, yeah, we were doing it over Skype, sometimes over really shoddy connections. And so in the early episodes, you can hear some really echoey stuff. Some of those single-digit episodes are rough. Yeah, Ben had this really terrible microphone that was already broken. That yeah. like some, you know, and so, but now, you know, we've kind of invested. We've, out of respect for our listeners more than anything else, that you guys probably don't want to hear what it sounds like to record inside of a toilet, which sometimes that's what it sounds like, that weird echoey porcelain sound. But but that was, yeah, that the early days were, were a little rough. But then things got better. I mean, Ben, remember when all of a sudden we started doing emergency podcasts? Those were pretty cool. I think the first one we did that I remember is in Wimbledon 2013 when Cher Pova called out Serena and we were like, oh crap, we gotta talk about this. And we did, and we like jumped on it that night and published it pretty quickly later that night. Uh, that wound up being a pretty eventful summer because we had also Wimbledon on Black Wednesday yep. and the whole tournament changed. We, we'd recorded a Wimbledon preview episode which had been totally invalidated. Um, so we redid that and then did it again when Serena lost and then we did it later that summer when Bartoli retired out of nowhere. So yes, we've become more of a newsish type thing yep. in our own way. So we are hopefully a breaking news source you can trust and rely <laughs> on at some level, especially now that we're weekly. Yeah, uh, we are quite quite constant, and we do all sorts of things. We've done, you know, road trip shows, action packed Neil. Remember Harmon Remember when shows. I totally freaked out when we drove through Wheeling, West, West Virginia? Virginia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you didn't um, like that. Yeah, it was that was still a bit of a scarring moment. So for it's me. been pretty good. And the one thing that I remember most when the show sort of changed a little bit was in Indian Wells in 2013 when we finally started having guests. And the first guest we wanted to bring on was Andrea Petkovic, who we did bring on there. And she was awesome. And we set it up in this like little room in the side. We actually had to wait in the back for a Novak Djokovic press conference to finish. Yes. And waiting in the back of Petko. And I think you were like mortified about having making her wait through that. And then we sort of walked through the press conference room to, to the little room where we were doing it. She and Novak hugged on the way there. Um, and we went in and did it, and it was great. And we did other guests. We did, you know, Laura Robinson, Jesse Pagula, uh, Freddie Nielsen, Mallory Burdett, who we haven't heard that name in a while, but she was on the show. Um, Alize Cornet. Alize Cornet we've done. And we did Pecto again. We have done Madison Keys. And now we decided that for episode 100 that the new would make sense is to bring back Andrea Pekovic one more time. Because everybody loves Petco, it seems to be, especially our, our listeners. The episodes we've done with her have been some of our best received of all. So there was no one we wanted to have more, I think, or seemed yeah. like more a more MCR-ish guest. So for her third time, she was here. But like Ernest, this was not straightforward. We were doing it in Charleston, and she was defending champ in Charleston and playing doubles, and she was just super busy, and it just made the semis in Miami, and was clearly running pretty low on gas in terms of just emotional and physical energy, and so as the week went on and it kept getting kind of put off, we were thinking that it wouldn't happen. And, and we then, were okay with that. And we were resigned, and when we had the other two, we were like, okay, you know, we have enough yeah. in this episode, we're doing, we'll be fine. We'd mentioned it to her before, um, and then after her semifinal, she had wait, was going to wait till after doubles to come into press. Which she uh, lost her semifinal. She lost her semifinal to Kerber. She had lost. Um, and then she decided to come into press a little bit earlier um, than had been planned after doubles because there was a rain delay. It would have been much, much later for press. So she came in. And 
at the end of her press conference, she was like, hey, why don't we do the podcast? Yeah, she was like, literally like, why don't you guys come down to the player lounge, um, hop in the golf cart with me, we'll go down there and we can nail this out. Cause she, and she said, because I really want to do this. Yeah. Yeah, you know, which was really kind of amazing. So yeah, so we you don't get You don't get players doing that on any <laughs> level. You don't get players being like, hey, I would like to do this interview or this thing that will take up my time. Yeah. So it just shows pretty how remarkable she is. Yeah. And I think the rest of the interview will go into sort of what makes her unique or different. She doesn't have an agent. That's one of the first things we talk about. All these different independent things and choices she's made for herself. And yeah. like we said, like with Golbus a little bit, it's a, she had just lost. She was tired. So it was not exactly quite the same zany, goofy Petco as before, but she'd always been thoughtful in those interviews too. And I think this time in a very long interview, this one's pretty long, um, a lot of that thoughtfulness comes out as well. Yeah. And then it's the thoughtfulness that I have always really wanted to get out um, in with respect to Andrea Petkovic because yeah, everybody knows that she's hilarious, she's incredibly witty, all these sorts of things. But in a lot of my offline conversations with her, whether I see her at the, the player lounge or at the transport uh, station when we're trying to get transport to and from tournaments and you just kind of strike up a random conversation, she's incredibly thoughtful and, yeah. and she thinks about things in the way that, I don't know, sometimes I'm like, well, my friends and I think about that in the same way. And it's just different than a lot of the conversations that you have with tennis players. And so, yeah, so she sat down. We do this interview. Obviously, so many of these interviews are only 15, 20 minutes long. Petkovic sits there for 45 minutes and she still has doubles to play. And we're having the conversation. She's totally going with it. And um, I, I've never seen anything like that. And, and no player will would no. have been as gracious as she was um, in terms of, of, of giving us her time for this. Yeah. So we are super grateful. So like we mentioned the thoughtfulness. I think we've tried to do that with all of our guests over the course of the show. We've had them you know, try to just be, have a different sort of side of them on the show that matches the way we talk and think about the sport. And But she lines up with it, with our sort of ethos, unbelievably well. And so I She think, is the NCR spirit animal, let's just be real. So I think she you is. all will enjoy this very much. And without further ado, here is Andrea Petkovic for the third time on episode 100. Number 100. Number 100. We're so happy that you're here for yeah. number 100. Welcome back to the hunt for episode 100, Andrea Pekovic. That's so amazing. We're pretty excited <laughs> to have you here. Third time on the show. I know. Most popular Am podcast I... ever. Really? Was your episode. Yeah. Which one? Uh, the the second one, the one we did here last oh, okay. year. Okay, the yeah, one we did in Charleston. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It, so, okay, good. You know, we ripped good on too. Coldplay and whatever. <laughs> Coldplay is the best. Good <laughs> <laughs> continuity there. Remember what happened last time? So, how how's the year been for you? I guess let's talk big picture. Twelve months. It's been rankings wise. It's been amazing. You, we talked yeah. to you, I guess after your first match here last year. So you mm -hmm. won that title. Yeah, and everything's been pretty much great. It's been a great twelve months. Yeah, no, it's been it's been really great. And what I'm most happy with is really, uh, I mean, when I cracked back the t top ten, you know, it's if you're ten or eleven, it doesn't really matter. No, there is no sure. not a big difference. But for me, it was just a sort of a. Um, end to the journey that I've had after after all my injuries so that's that's been really nice and that's been very relieving and and a great accomplishment for me but all in all I'm just very happy with with where I am and I'm and it's so nice to um, be thankful finally yeah. for what has come my way you know for <laughs> right. just, no more bad luck no more exactly. bad mojo yeah and just be here and and uh, also appreciate the um, 
the fact that I'm here and I'm almost in the top 10, I'm playing the big tournaments, I'm playing well, I'm beating good players. And so I'm just very, very happy and very grateful for everything. And it's been a blessing and I'm very happy with it. Very nice. <laughs> well, before we got onto the air, we were talking a little bit about, yeah, one thing that Ben and I wanted to talk to you about was this whole agency issue. Like you're oh, okay. one of those players who's in, you know, in the top 10 or hovering around the top 10, mm -hmm. a top player, a very popular player, someone that the press likes to talk to, all these sorts of things. But you don't have an agent. I don't. You're yeah. independent. You're right? indie. You're super you have independent. Like, <laughs> you have to be the only player. The bony bear. Of, uh, either yeah. four, I would think. Yeah. I would think so. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So yeah. why did you decide to go that route? Have you always done that? And I have always done that. I never yeah. had an agent. And um, it started off in the beginning because I was kind of different now I'm I would say I'm more mainstream now on court <laughs> I mean I still throw my records yeah. around but I don't do the dancing anymore I'm, I'm more you're mainstream you're signed on to right? a major label yeah, exactly you know yeah. Like, yeah you're still you I'm, not, you know. I'm not Coldplay yet you know but exactly. I'm I don't know and Imagine Dragons <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst comparison ever but um, so in the beginning it started off because I didn't want anybody to tell me what to do that was the um, actually the main thing why I never wanted an agent because I felt like uh, I felt like if there is somebody hovering around me all the time telling me what to do what not to do I will never learn it by myself I thought like um, well it at the very first beginning, I thought I'm not going to make any mistakes, right? <laughs> right, right. That's sure. what you think when you're yeah. 20 and you think you're invincible and the world is yours and you're the coolest um, thing that happened to this world. And then yeah. you start to get it. You start to get some hate, some shit. Some people don't like what you do. And then you realize that wasn't cool what you did. And, uh, and once I realized I do make mistakes and I, um, and I do maybe go... I went through some things that I shouldn't have been going through maybe um, then I figured it's good to make these mistakes because I learned from them and I developed from them as a human being also as a tennis player and I uh, and then I started changing or not changing but growing and um, and so that was very important for me and now I have come to the stage where I know all the people <laughs> and where I know you know it's the, yeah. it's a tennis world the same people right. have been around for years and uh, the same tournament directors have been around for years. You've established the relationships that for some other players, maybe the agent comes in exactly. with that relationship. Yeah. Exactly. And so now you have them. So now at this point, you don't, I don't necessarily really need, need one. And, and exactly. We, and we do see players who have agents who guard them to a point where they don't. the players don't seem to learn anything. Mm. And they keep making the same mistakes and the agents like sort of suck up to them and say, oh, you're great, you don't change, right, you're right, perfect. Right. The agent wants to stay a friend with them or yeah, something yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. make them improve, but you're sort of saying I'm out here to learn and yeah I am because yeah. there is you know you should never forget there is a, uh, a world after tennis and a crazy world waiting for me and probably a bigger world than this one yeah. is and I mean you know it's as journalists already you always see the same people yep. week by week sure, and sure. you're lucky enough to get back every once in a while to get back to normal life yeah. I don't have that I'm 40 weeks a year I'm in this world and I'm sure in in uh, five to seven years I will go out there and there will be other people that I will have to deal with and there will um, there will be people that won't um, that won't um, how do you say Verzeihen, Verzeihen, wait, wait, wait. Verzeihen, do you know Verzeihen? I don't know Verzeihen. Not a, a, apologize, but 
They won't forgive me. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. That was actually an easy one. I should have known that. They won't they won't forgive me because I used to be a good tennis player, right. you know? Right. I will have to make my name but um, from the beginning and that's going to be a huge challenge, but I think this world is very comprived in everything, yeah. very um, like compressed. compressed that's yeah. what I wanted to say, very compressed in everything. So if I learn here now, yeah. I will have a lot to take with me to the next For chapter sure. of my life. There are players who have a big time problem. They've been like the center of attention. They have a team around them who cares mm. for everything they do. Right. And then they retire and they're, I don't want to say useless. <laughs> but they haven't but learned. They, they haven't learned yeah. basic, basic life skills. Yeah. So you seem ready for that. I try. I try. I mean, there are still things that I'm really bad at, like communicate or staying in touch with people, you know, because I'm, um, when I don't see the, it's for me, it's sometimes out of sight, out of yeah. mind, yeah. and I'm really, really difficult with that. And uh, I try to be better, but it's very difficult for me to stay in touch with all my friends, and especially the friends that I don't see very often. And then, uh, and I figure once I come back home and I'm there at home, I will have to deal with those people every day. <laughs> so I should be, you know, on right. good terms with exactly. them now well, already. Would be I mean, do you think about that in terms of? Like, yeah, it's easy to kind of put your head down, do the tennis thing. Uh, all this stuff is happening in your friends' lives because you have a lot of friends who are not in tennis mm. and they yeah. have their own creative pursuits and intellectual right. pursuits and things like that. So, and I could see in the back of your mind being like, well, you know, I'll get to that. Like, yeah, there'll come yeah, a point yeah, where yeah. I will jump back into it and it'll be fine. And the art galleries and the dinners <laughs> and all, dinner parties, all these things with my friends. But is that something that you're conscious of or something that... It, feels closer now than it maybe did or does it still seem really far off uh, it's it's funny actually because every time when I get back I'm sort of taken aback what has happened to the lives of my friends just in the few weeks or months that I've been gone and because sometimes I mean I, I'm still a tennis player and I guess I'm still egocentric in mm -hmm. that way because sometimes I feel when I'm gone everything is stopping right yeah. there and when I come back we just continue from yep. there yeah. right totally and then I come back and it's not that way right. and I feel sometimes I get really sad with that because um, I'm missing a lot of important events sure. of uh, my friends uh, which is which is very sad and uh, especially you know I have a lot of creative friends in in, in my circle and when they have concerts or um, exhibits, photographers, whatever, and I'm never there. It's it's sad, you yeah. know. It's really sad to to, and they try to support me, and they always watch my matches. Obviously, it's easier because I'm um, on the internet all the time. <laughs> right, right. They can but be virtually still. for you, but it's hard for you to be virtually there. Exactly, for them. Yeah. and and yeah. that's that's sad. And sometimes I do feel like a like a bad friend, but I try to make up for it when I'm when I'm back home, and I really try to support them in in every good or bad way possible and uh, and be there and I'm I'm really scared now not scared but let's say anxious about what's going to happen because I am 27 now and I'm I'm loving what I'm doing and I uh, I want to do this as long as possible but I also know that I'm not gonna be playing for another 10 years right, right? Yeah. and I and I'm really eager about what's coming in the future yeah. I'm so excited for it but also frightened because I, st I have so many interests, but there is not one thing where I would say, okay, this is the thing after tennis that I will go for. And that's really frightening yeah. to yeah. see. And I feel like somebody that has finished high school and now they have to go to college and yeah. they don't really yeah, know I, what I to do with their I was, life. When I graduated from college. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like I'm 19 yeah. years old now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, well, that's not a bad thing. That's not, I mean, it's better that than... I've talked to other players who, candidly, they'll say, I don't know what I'm going to do after tennis because yeah. I don't know 
what I like to do or what right. I, you know what I mean? Like they, there's mm-hmm. an actual blank slate as opposed to, well, there's actually a bunch of different things that I'd want to do. And it's just a matter of choosing that. What? That's, that's Maybe that's bad. better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's I can try good. a lot of things yeah, and yeah. then see. I wanted to go back to something you said last year in response okay. to a question in press. I think you got asked about the original nine or something. Mm-hmm. And you said, and I've talked about this since then, but you said like, well, I'm a feminist. Yes. So, and I had never heard another player say that. But why not? I, well, that's what no I'm one wondering. Uses the F, no like one uses the F word. Oh, okay. No one actually like people will say, oh yeah, I'm pro-woman. Oh, I'm right. like really a big WTA equal supporter. Right, but they equal, won't say whatever. equal I'm rights. I'm wondering, yeah. like, mm-hmm. as a female athlete in this leading women's sport in the world, like, what does feminism mean to you? Or what, your role is sort of championing, I guess, uh, women's yeah. women in the world? Well, there are two things that come to my mind immediately. When I, I always get angry and so upset when the, some of the ATP players say, we don't want equal price money because I cannot understand that at all. And I don't, I don't even get that. And there will be people again, they will write on Twitter, but the man play best of five. And I would play best of five. I don't care. Just, but it doesn't even make sense to play best of five, you right, know, for, for anybody, TV, yeah. for even, anybody. Arguably not even for the men. No, I, exactly. I, this is my point. I, mean, I don't need to watch six hours of tennis, No, honestly. nobody's really going to watch. And the best match <laughs> in history of best of five when Rafa played Novak yeah. in the Australian Open final, I'm a huge tennis fan. Not even me. I didn't watch for six hours. I went to lunch. I went to breakfast. <laughs> I came back. I watched. It. So it doesn't. They destroy their bodies, you know. Just and it would make more sense for TV for anybody. Yeah. And also, what I always, um, what I always say, we put in the same work. We put in the same effort. We pull in people, and there will always be people that love Fedra more, but there will always be people that love Maria Sharapova or Serena Williams. And I think what Serena Williams has achieved for an uh, for an African American athlete. And women yeah. is amazing and right. it can can't be compared to any man because if you take Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal they are incredible um, sportsmen and they are incredible idols to um, to look up to but have they changed something politically not really has Serena changed something politically? Yes, she has. Yeah. And also Maria, because she has been a great role model for all the little girls that know that can, that they can achieve something and, and be more than just a pretty girl right. in a dress. Because Maria is a pretty girl in a yeah. dress, but she's strong and she's tough and nobody wants to cross her on the way, right? right. So, yeah. uh, And that's really nice to see that you can be good looking, but you can also be tough at right. the same time. Yeah. So that's really nice to see. And what I had to learn for myself, I always hated going to the Dubai and Doha, mm. because I was just so upset yeah. with the, um, the role, culture, yeah. exactly, the culture, with the, the women norms, role yeah, there, exactly. exactly. And I always felt so hesitant, and I always thought if I should go there. And this year, finally, I was talking to, to somebody at home, that uh, a friend of mine that is also a feminist, and she said, why do you care? You will not change it, but you can be there. And maybe if just one little girl watches you and thinks you're cool mm-hmm. and wants to do the same thing, you have achieved something and yes. you can be a, a role model and you can be an idol for all the girls and all the women that watch you, that you can wear short skirts and short uh, dresses, mm-hmm. but you can be strong and tough and you can achieve stuff and it doesn't hurt anybody. Right. On the contrary, it helps people and it, um, it can help it girls. It hurts no one that's to be there. That's what exactly. I think. Like, I think women's sport almost inherently is political. Yeah, it's, it's a political just, statement. It's a statement every of saying, time. you know, we belong here too. We're yeah. equal. 
we can't we can't do this and I think it's that, that's just cool and even if you know Serena and Maria never use the f word it's not <laughs> they are just yeah. their actions totally by playing matches totally, by being them totally embodying those ideals yeah yeah, yeah so. it's like uh, the Fifty Shades of Grey in movie <laughs> <laughs> let's not go that far. <laughs> talking about Maria Sharapova because we have talked to you about this before yeah. like just about because you're a big Sharapova fan I am I was actually joking with Ben this week because they're at the one of your press conferences yeah. the press conference literally ended with so thanks Maria I oh love yeah you. <laughs> like the, and I was like no one has ever ended a press conference because I mean you, you know she, she's somebody who's not exactly beloved yeah in the locker room she might be respected but you're the mm. oh, you're the real first player I really yeah who's gone out of their way to be like no she is awesome and here's why yeah but because I Maybe it's because my I can split my personality. I talked to you about this before. I can separate things that happen on court and things that are personal right. and things that are private, right? Yeah. And I'm I don't want to be friends with her. Maybe I would like to be friends right. with her if we were not playing tennis. But obviously she has chosen for her a path where she needs to be very focused and very uh, determined with no friends on tour. And she's done incredibly well for herself. Yeah. But I see the bigger picture. I see, I see what she has done for us. I see what um, role she has played for women. And I see what um, what she portrays and as a as a female athlete, and that inspired me when I was growing up. I mean, we were the same age, but she was much right. better, much earlier than I was. So I I was watching her, and um, and to me, it's always what I like about Maria is that she probably one of the few women in the world that has managed this thing um, that you can be strong and tough and successful but also be good looking because I have the feeling nowadays feminism is about being really strong and tough but you're not allowed to be good looking right. or to like to be good looking you know no, okay. if you're a feminist you're supposed to look like shit yeah you know it's Sometimes. a 70s thing of like exactly you don't shave your armpits you don't shave your yeah. legs like wear you, a bra exactly yeah. which exactly. is like a little I mean I don't know if you yeah but yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I mean, it's okay. I don't care. But I just think you should have a choice. I think you're not less of a feminist if you're a good-looking person, you know? Right. that It just doesn't make sense to me. To me, it's about the personality, what you portray, what you pursue, and what you want to achieve. If you want to have five kids and live at home and feed your kids all day, that's perfectly fine so for me. So you get to choose it. Exactly. Yeah. And for me, that's the same feminist thing as somebody going... Going there and being a CEO of a company, right. if you chose it for yourself and you're happy with it, and that's what I try to, um, that's why what I try to portray and what I think Maria is portraying that you can have it all if you want it and if you work for it as a woman as well as a man, and that's what it's really nice to see, and that's why yes, I do love Maria Sharapova. <laughs> do, you, do you think there are, are players who could learn from that, from the examples I said? Do you think the tour as a, as let's say talk first of all the players and I guess the administration of the tour itself is doing enough? for feminism or for women's mm. place in the world? Well, um, I think it's a little better now. I had a problem with, um, with, let's say, maybe four or five years back when uh, when Anna Kurnikova was still kind of in everyone's minds and they were really trying to sell us yeah. by sex, right? Yeah. And by good looks and by short little dresses. And that's not cool, you know? Yeah. If you want it, 
go ahead and do it. That's what I'm always saying. You have the choice, but you don't necessarily need that. And there are personalities that that show in other ways. They don't show that don't show maybe in their looks, but right. in their behavior and what they say in press conferences. And I think the WTA has made better steps yeah. since then in the last maybe uh, five years since I've been a part. You definitely do see of. that in the marketing, right? Exactly. Back in the day, like it was like the same ten girls. Exactly. And you're like, come on. <laughs> and nowadays, it's everyone. Yeah. It's pretty much if you're in the top fifty. Yeah. We've done the WTA photo shoot. Exactly. We have a you know a thing that we can run for you whenever mm. something happens. Like strong That's is beautiful. They did like yeah. like forty or fifty different. Exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah. Whereas the and one before that one. was not. And I think it started yeah. with strong is beautiful, yeah. where they really. Um, change their mindset a little bit and I think that's that's just very important to show all of the facets of, of the women athletes the female athletes well that's supposed to be the case I, I mean I know for myself being a woman when I look at the WTA what you would want is that every type of woman is represented exactly that there isn't a this is the right kind of woman which yeah. is the, which is kind of that whole debate right now within feminism is yeah. like this whole like are women supposed to be pr are, like pretty and you're supposed to care yeah. about fashion it's like not feminist to be reading vogue and it's like actually it's fine like yeah. it's not unfeminist you oh know? shit i but, never like, read vogue i'm not a feminist yeah, anymore you know, or, like people who love reality television or things yeah. that are low brow people are like mm. oh that's really but it's like no these are all different types of women women exactly. can be crazy murderers women can also be top-notch ceos mm. like what there's an actually no difference exactly there's, there's an and i think that is the most important thing that men especially understand sorry ben <laughs> but you're actually you're a better feminist than most of the women so that's okay but um what men need to understand that we don't want to be better than you we don't want to be better we just want to be equal that's all it's about and there are always um, there will always be women who maybe go a little overboard but the only thing we want is we want to have a choice and we want to uh, we want to pursue what we what we want to be and I think we want to have the opportunity to be whatever we want to be right. and as I said if you want to be at home and have five dogs and five cats and seven children that's as feminist for me as being the CEO of Lufthansa right. let's, let's <laughs> talk about a feminist man we talked on the way over here and Andy Murray who I know yeah. you're a big fan of and Kim's we're recording this right on the day that Kim Sears and Andy Murray got married. So <laughs> what are your feelings on, on both of them and I guess on him in particular? Because I know that you've said he's you like him a lot and I guess it's Yeah, I like him a lot. He's one of my definitely one, if not the most favorite ATP player because of his um, up speaking for the WTA tour, but not just because of that, but because I just feel like he's a very respectful young man and he has great manners and he even though you know he and that's that's the thing that I because I act um, really badly on court as well sometimes but it's just this thing that emotions get overboard with you and you can't control yourself and uh, and it's really nice to see that he also has the split personality maybe I can somehow identify myself <laughs> with him because of that and um, and Kim Sears for me just wins the year in January already she won the year for me she was already my favorite person with, of with the, the year with the t-shirt with I mean. the t-shirt yeah. and yeah. everything that happened before in the match and that was just the most awesome British thing that anyone could ever do <laughs> I don't know if you saw Andy Murray give an interview in Rolling Stone and he was talking I about saw that, his love for the WTA yeah. and, and respect for it and he was like well they everybody talks about women's tennis as being so they're so emotional he's like 
they're way less emotional than I am. He's like, Sharapova's not as emotional. It's like, she's totally cool. And I'm yeah. the one that's a nervous wreck, you know? So it was nice to see him kind of stand up. Yeah, I read that. that. I, and I you do saw notice that. that when people say positive. You said you mentioned at the beginning, people, you hated, when they say no to equal prize money, but you do notice when a guy says something nice. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think uh, a lot of it has to do with his mother. I know Judy uh, well, and I think she did a great job in and just raising him and um, and yeah and I, I wish him all the best I, I wish he wins uh, a lot of more Grand Slams and be and is happy with Kim Sears I would marry her as well so <laughs> if they ever have have problems you know You're in Kim there. call me <laughs> a strong shoulder to cry on Andrea exactly. Petrovic there you go so we usually in these shows sort of talk about your interest in the outer world yeah like you're one person that has an eye on the rest of the world what do you what do you like in the world today? What's what do you like? Is art, culture, what's inspiring? Whatever, you? yeah. What is inspiring um, you? Right now, it's very funny because we are going to play Fed Cup in Russia, and I, I have started reading War and Peace by Tolstoy, and I. <laughs> Literally the only person in tennis that would have said that. Yeah, but still. But and I'm really obsessed with uh, Russian culture, just because I think it's so twisted and so controversial and contradictive, and I love it. And I this love is coming it. From a German. And this is coming from a German. And it's and I never really. It's not that I didn't like Russia. I just never cared about it. It was never on my radar somehow. And now that I've uh, when I um, when we found out we have to go to Sochi, and I was like, yeah, maybe you could inform yourself you yeah. lazy ass <laughs> bitch you know <laughs> go ahead and inform yourself of the country where you're going to and so um i started reading tolstoy i have read all of the dostoevskis and i always loved it always loved it but it was maybe when i was 16 17 and yeah. i was kind of emo so yeah it works you know it yeah. always works dostoevsky always think. works like for an emo exactly like, oh, so interesting <laughs> you know, it feels so deep <laughs> exactly so that's what i did when i was a teenager but uh but now tolstoy is a whole different story and he really portrays the society of the uh, Napoleon era so well in Russia and it's so interesting for me to see this um, high culture that they have and how communism actually kind of destroyed it mm -hmm. and that's to me really really interesting I'm not an expert and I uh, I'm sorry if I offend anybody here no, sure. with what I say but it's just uh, the way I feel um, I felt like they were on top of the world and they were the most interesting people that you could be around and then communism sort of just put a doll on yeah. everything that's, they're not that's, the only country yeah and china china had that for a long time they exactly. looked like they were on the way and then the cultural revolution uh happened and then like you know they basically set themselves back right like 30 50 60 years across yeah. the board to where now you know they're still kind of playing catch-up yeah in a way but uh but yeah, yeah communism of, has that way of doing it yeah like it can either elevate european countries it can elevate a low Vietnam. country yeah. right to a certain level right you know I, we saw that in vietnam like when communism came in it actually did pull the country up right but then it, you, you it, do you hit a, you doesn't hit a wall. Go, you hit a wall, yeah, you, know? you don't go so, further. Yeah. So that's really, yeah, that's been um, really in my mind a lot in the in the past, let's say, weeks. And I would, I'm almost finished with the book, actually, and I never thought I would finish that's it impressive. that fast. Yeah, I never thought I would finish, but it was, it just sucked Maybe that's me that's why you're so tired in <laughs> I guess so. Just, I'm drained by, by, by Tolstoy. Yeah. yeah, that's probably true, but it, it's just, um, it, it wasn't on my mind a lot because it just um, it just woke up my interest for that for that culture and it's really I'm, I'm gonna read much more about it now and also about the now with everything happening with the Ukraine and Russia as I said I'm not an expert and I'm not following it at all but it's just in, much more interesting for me I'm not interested about the 
um, political decisions and about the politics and the politicians. I'm just interested in the people yeah. and the culture and what moves people, what makes them think in that way, what makes them think in, in those ways. And so that's why why I feel like Russia is so interesting to me right now, just because I uh, I feel like I was in that time now because I was reading that book yeah. of, of the Napoleon Wars and now it obviously has changed so much and yeah. it's just um, really amazing to I'll, see. I'll be interested to hear what you think because I went to Sochi for the Olympics oh, last yeah. year. Oh so. yeah, and how, did you like it? Yes no. and no, parts of it, parts of it. I mean like it is different. Yeah. It's like nowhere I'd ever been before. Okay. And, and it's, and we were in... Adler, which is not even in Sochi, so it's like tiny okay. town that was just essentially built for the, for Olympics, the Olympics, and most of the buildings were really terrible and stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, like everyone saw, you know, with the yeah. stair. I, the main thing that we had was like stairs in our building were like different heights, like a oh, staircase, no. so it was like impossible <laughs> to walk on. I would like trip and so fall. Watch every, so watch your steps. So watch your steps. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no drinking I, in it, Russia. No. No, no you, drinking well, and walking the steps. <laughs> So we'll see. So I'm curious to see what you're thinking. Okay, yeah. I'm really... Have you thought about that, though, when you're thinking about, like, all the things that you might be interested in doing after tennis? Yeah. About going back to school? I have, Is that yeah. a thing that's on the table? Or you're like, eh, no, let's just get back to <laughs> Like, let's just get into Yeah, whatever. well, I had this uh, phase, it was probably in winter of last year, where I really wanted to study biology after tennis. What? Just because, it's, I know it's strange, but just because I thought it would be good for me to do something that's very grounded, mm -hmm. because my thoughts uh, constantly circle around things that are not really reachable you yeah, know like abstract. yeah abstract yeah. I, the art that I uh, that I like to look at is abstract the the books that I read are from very long yeah. eras long time ago and you want something concrete and yeah, yeah and sometimes I feel like my head is in the clouds too much you know mm -hmm. and I would like something something more concrete and that's why I thought studying biology would be really good for, for my <laughs> personal development. I'm not sure if that's going to be the case still in five or six years, but definitely going back to school. I mean, I would love to go in Ivy League school once. Mm -hmm. Just oh, cool. that would be maybe and any just, Ivy League school would love to have you. You I think sure. so? Yes. I would love to go to Howard. Just, you know, it's just that idea of, for me, of the idea of really high education I guess was always Howard because I used to Harvard. watch all Harvard? this Harvard. Yeah, yeah because yeah. I used to watch all these movies yeah, yeah. you know of and course. it's just something that it's in, in in myself and when I think of the best education you could get it's you Howard. Think of Howard yeah, yeah. Totally. totally so that makes sense maybe that would be something how about me. other stuff other and movies music stuff you've enjoyed she's lately? been reading Warren Peace she's, <laughs> she's, she's doing something else and I'd be well, pretty impressed I actually I did wanted to write uh, a script once for a movie okay because I have um, I have but I'm just so not creative and that's really sad do you have an idea of what the movie was going to be yeah I, because I had like a, an opening scene of a guy crying in the U-Bahn you know, mm -hmm. know the yeah. U-Bahn in, yeah. in Germany subway, it's very yeah. like yeah. subway and I, it's actually it's kind of like New York subway yeah. uh, and so I had this opening scene pictured in my head where you have a wide shot right wide angle and there's a guy sitting on a bench just crying and then you tell the his story in retrospect of how but you got to that point yeah, yeah but unfortunately I can't think of anything that has got to <laughs> so basically you just want a YouTube video that runs for two hours of a guy crying in the Wuhan which I'm sure exists on YouTube somewhere <laughs> or on you porn you don't know. <laughs> 
okay. Different strokes for different folks, right? Everybody, everybody's aroused by different things. That's what you're into. I'm if sure it, there yeah. is crying subway. There's everything. There's anything. I know, but that's why I said that's why I'm so upset with myself sometimes because I don't have a career. You know, I sometimes get these images and then I think, oh, that could be something, and I'm so creative, and then it doesn't go any further from there. So it's the balance of the two. It's like the, it's the creative side of like the abstract, but also having the tools, right? Well, not even the tools, but sometimes you can get the creative juices going, but it's almost the hyper rational side, which is the not creative side that then stamps it down. Ah, okay. Like, you know, like you, right, almost right, know, right. you almost know too, you, you almost like the, what you were saying before the tournament about being, needing to be naive right. on a tennis court right. in order to kind of fool yourself into realizing yeah. that what's happening is not happening. Yeah. Same thing. Like when you're being creative, you have to fool yourself and tell yourself that you're good at what you do. Ah, okay. You know, and you're like, oh, yo, this is like literally the best thing that's ever been written. Then you can actually bust it out. Okay. But if you have any sort of doubt, uh, the minute that you write you it, you're like, oh my have, God, this is shit. You just have to commit. Uh, okay. I mean, like, that's, what, okay. that's how like, Adam Sandler has a career now. Well, this is, the argu- this is an Adam argument Sandler, that I have with oh my, my, God. my friend all the time about how, like, the difference between female and male comedians is that mm. men, or even just in art, like in Hollywood or something, men just literally are come out of the womb and think that they're like badass. Right, and right, women right. don't have that. And so there's a constant kind of doubt that's going on that's when true. they try to be creative that the men just don't have. They literally walk into a room and like think they own it. Yeah, yeah, they yeah have a that's right so to, cool. Yeah. Like, you know, here's my script. It's the best thing you've ever going to read. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sign me up. And like, I don't know any woman that would no. do that. Be like, hi, I wrote this thing. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, don't know if, and, I mean, I don't, I don't want to bother you. Like, you know, like that whole thing. Yeah. It's like chapter three really sucks. You shouldn't read chapter three, but skip, skip over that. But I don't know. It'll give you kind of a sense of what I'm thinking about. It's just apologizing for yourself at all times. It's terrible. I've been in that situation. Oh, and I yeah. look across the room and just like see the guys like do the same thing that I'm trying to do, and I'm like. I wish I had the balls to like act like you. You just look like stupid, but I think it works. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. But no, I think. You, but I think you're right. I think you just because sometimes I do write stuff, but it's always when I know I'm never gonna show this to anybody, and then like I'm really into it, you yeah. know. And then I read through it, and I'm like, yeah, that could actually work. Maybe I should show. No, it's pathetic. Don't. <laughs> See, it's that voice yeah. that keeps yeah. you from. Yeah. Kind of, so you know, you just gotta. But don't steal my idea of the U-Bahn guy crying, okay? I'm pretty sure it already exists. There's like some movie that's on the airplanes right now. This German movie called uh, One Coffee in Berlin. Oh, okay. Yeah, I heard of it. I I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's like a black and white contemporary movie. I know, yeah. I kind of don't really get it, but I watched it. And you, did you like it? It's yeah, the one day in Berlin, right? Yeah, it's, I, I liked it. With the little guy, Tom. Yeah, his a name little is... really skinny, yeah. hipstery guy, yeah, like yeah, kind yeah. of just going around. He's but... this tall, you know. Is that right? He's so small. He's like really. <laughs> I, I, did, I saw him and I didn't see him at this event where everybody's like, "That's Tom Schilling," and he's like yeah, yeah. a really good actor. I mean, he does all these indie movies, and um, and I, he was so like tiny he's and neat. small and incredible. <laughs> That's yeah. It's always a bummer when you see somebody that's on screen and they're like just physically smaller. Than yeah. you're like, oh. oh, that's interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's okay. Do you get? Yeah. I mean, I've we we see a fair number of celebrities around tennis, even being yeah. journalists. Is there anybody you've met at tennis that's like either been like, oh, you're way smaller and less impressive than I thought, or like, oh my god, I love you and freaked out, um, or do you not get starstruck? I don't get starstruck that much, and I. Can't think of anybody that's starstruck. I, 
know that um, when I met Steffi Graf that normally it's like that you build a picture of somebody in your head and you think they are so cool and then when you meet them they are still cool but they are not as cool as you right, pictured them right and Steffi Graf was the only one that surprised me that extended my expectations oh. because she was I expected her to be like really cold mm -hmm. I guess and she was so warm reputation. yeah but yeah. she's not at all she's the whole the total opposite and maybe that's why I was really really surprised by it but um, I just uh, I just told the story to somebody actually because the um, the masters is going on mm -hmm. in Augusta uh, Martin Kaiman and I are good friends and his agent once um, invited me to a major actually in England the one in Scotland actually yeah. um, because he thought Martin was so uptight and I would relax him and he didn't even make the cut so I was never invited again. <laughs> you were there. But I was there. Oh, that was oh, my cool. that was uh, during the year when I was injured 2012. Oh, nice. So that was my excursion to golf. <clears throat> Do you get that a lot in Germany like if you are spotted out with anyone or if you exchange tweets well, with anyone yeah. of the opposite sex well, they or same sex yeah. that like automatically it's like mm -hmm. Well the thing in Germany is they um, when it's an, another athlete, strangely, because I was, or I am good friends with Schweinsteiger, obviously, right. who is now with my friend Anna, yeah. and, um, and I'm good friends with Martin Keimer that are probably the only um, guy friends that, uh, that are both athletes, and both of them had stories in the papers mm -hmm. that we were dating or yeah. something, and it was not even 1% close. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, they were so far off. Right, right. They were so far off that I couldn't believe my, my eyes when I was reading, and I was actually <laughs> laughing at it. But um, but strangely, when it's another athlete, I yeah. guess they just want this. And also, the, when I saw the papers overflowing with Anna and, uh, and Schweini, yeah. I guess they just want this super athlete couple yeah. Yeah. in Germany. That's I don't know why. That's the story they want, right? Exactly. It's boring to them if you were dating like a best-selling author. Exactly. Right? That would be, be like, super boring. That would not even yeah. make, like, I don't think they would even make any gossip magazine. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, another <laughs> athlete that was so interesting for them. Yeah. I don't know why. Caroline so. and Rory had that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know what it is about two athletes that are dating. It's just, it seems to I be so interesting. I think part of it is also is that it's inherently two good-looking people. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. two fit, good-looking people yeah. dating. Like, it helped, like, I don't know. People yeah. Are like, yeah, okay. But like, you know, you're dating somebody who's like a schlubby hipster. You're yeah. Like, what? Why? You know, yeah, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what are you talking about? But, um, but you know that we, my sister and I almost named our corgi. Basti, no way! Why? <laughs> <laughs> after the World we Cup? We loved him. No, no, no. This was like back, oh, okay, in, like back okay. in like the last World Cup, and even before that, I think we got a new dog. And really? We're like, after Schweinsteiger, we're like, we actually were testing it. We were like screaming out different <laughs> versions of his name to see if it would work. And I was like, I don't know. It's gonna sound like we're saying bastard <laughs> like, down the street. And we're like, I don't think it's gonna work. <laughs> That's funny. No, yeah. no, he's great. Also, Martin. We, are, as I said, we are good friends and everything. But that's so far. Off German press, but Jesus you, Christ! You, you, know, you land in, in the in German tabloids at all? Never, are you no, on the, never, you're not on the, never. the but tabloid it, radar. No. I know, like Sabina has like her boyfriend, and then, right? I guess on it, yeah, on it now and stuff like that. But um, I always the experience I've had with um, with German press. I don't know how it's in the other with German tabloids. I don't know how it's in the other countries. If you have a choice in Germany, you do have a choice. If you want to talk about it, you will be. If you, the thing is, you have a choice once. And once you made uh, it, you make it put on it's over. Exactly. If you ever talk about it one time, then you will be there forever, yeah. right? Because they think 
you want to talk about it, even if after two years or five years, or even after two weeks, if right. you figure, I really didn't want to, want to do that, why did I do that? Um, you're always going to be in the tabloids. If you make the choice for yourself that you never wanted to do that, you will never be. And that's yeah. the experience I've had, and I've never wanted to talk about my private life, and I always ignored calls or, or questions about that. And, uh, and I mean, my telephone was ringing when they found the first picture with Anna and Bastille, mm -hmm. like, off the hook, and yeah. I just didn't answer it. And then they get it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so I think you, that's the nice thing about Germany, you do have a choice and I see it with, with other celebrities in Germany as well. There are a lot of actors that are very well known, they are never in the tabloids. If you have a choice, you can make it It's a pretty for respectful, respectful it is, tabloid it is. press. Yeah, and we don't have paparazzi. I mean, if you yeah. go to Munich and Berlin and you go to the restaurants where there is a photographer, obviously you're <laughs> yeah. going get, to get your photograph taken. But right. if you go to another restaurant and they have a lot in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Munich and Berlin, uh, you won't. Yeah. And that's a nice thing and I see it in England that it's uh, a whole it's different story yeah. and you don't really have a choice and I think even in America in the States you don't have a choice you don't have, don't a, have choice. a choice I mean no. it's if within tennis it's like like with Maria and Grigor for example yeah. neither of them really talk about it so we just stop asking like right. you ask it once and be like is this something that you want to talk about and they're like nope and you're like okay then, then let's talk exactly. forehands and yeah. backhands and yeah. <laughs> you know clay and whatever you know right but, right right but yeah but then in like Caroline and Rory's case it was they, like it happened and it Caroline was like talking about it. it's like oh well then this is now on the table yes like, you can't now there really isn't a point where you can say I don't want to talk about it anymore no You're that's like, true no, you've been talking about it like, that's true you know, so, so you do kind of a, kind of a have a choice within tennis yeah like, in tennis, within tennis, tennis for sure, yeah. yeah you know like I think that there's a lot of little dating mm. situations that are going on yeah where everybody knows about but you also know they're not going to talk, gonna talk about, about it, it so you don't but I think the 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 thing is also I think that's the problem most of it when you're you know when you're in love and you're just dating somebody who you think is the coolest person ever you want to talk about him and that's the problem when you're in and impress a lot and they ask you and you just have this you know when you, and, yeah. you just have this urge in yourself to talk about this person and then you do and you can never go back from that especially when talking about that person is more fun for you than talking about forehands and backhands that's the problem you know, <laughs> then you're in trouble then you're in trouble yeah yeah and for me I was very lucky that um, the the guy I was dating for a very long time uh, he was a musician and I knew that he wanted to make it he didn't want me help him yeah and so it was clear from the beginning I would never ever talk about him so I was always in that uh, you know I never talked about anybody that was in my life or wasn't in my life and I kept it um, like that and it's been working for me really fine because I've never got got bothered or anything you bothered I think so. Yeah. Now I'm happy, but you know, I know when I was young, I was also sometimes, you know, you know how how yeah, you want to tell people that you and you're proud you met of the person that exactly you're with you, and you you, you want, think yeah, it's yeah. the coolest person in the world. Yeah. You want to tell people that you yeah. you know made a good catch. <laughs> <laughs> you're like I'm not yeah exactly. You're like, I'm not a weirdo. I do boyfriend. Like, exactly, yeah, yeah. and especially with me, you know, because I'm. Um, I'm uh, I'm a feminist. I'm pro LGBT, but I'm not lesbian. But people think I am lesbian. Right. I don't care if you think I'm right. lesbian. You know, to me it doesn't matter. It's just for me. I don't I don't care about this stuff. But if I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to talk about it, and that's okay. Yeah. I guess. What, just because you mentioned it, what do you think the sort of state of LGBT feelings in, in, is, in, in, in tennis, I guess, particularly? Is I mean, because especially like on the on both sides, but especially the men's side, there's been mm. a lot of tension. Like there's never been out active ATP player, and but women, the numbers tell you there has to numbers tell you there, yeah. has, there has to be several, ten percent, right? Sure, something, whatever. And women, same. It's not there's not as visible a 
culture, mm. but maybe as there was, you know, for Navratilova or mm. Moresmo, you guess most recently. I mean, there's some, but not yeah. not like it was or could be. Well, I uh, it's it's difficult for me to. Um, we have this discussion a lot about uh, soccer, football guys. Yeah. It's football uh, about the <laughs> soccer players and football players in Germany because um, there are so many and there is not one officially outed um, gay guy in in soccer, Hitzelsberger, but he um, retired and he came out afterwards. Yeah. And there is always, you know how it is, there are always rumors and everybody knows who is gay and who isn't. Right. And then in the end, it's not even true, but there is somebody <laughs> yeah. else that you didn't even have on, on the account. And it's, I guess it's sad on one hand. And then on the other hand, it has to, um, all facets in the world have to make a step f further because I, uh, what I've heard that also people that are outed have problems with sponsors and that's, um, and that's a, that's an economic choice you make for yeah. yourself, I guess, if you want to out yourself. I never thought about that because obviously I wasn't in a position, so I never had to think about it. But somebody told me that and I was like, oh, now it makes... Because, you know, I was like, because I think I'm feminist and strong. If I was lesbian, I would tell everybody and I would be proud of it. Yeah. And... Um, but it isn't that easy yeah. of a choice. It's not that easy. There's a lot of considerations. When There's you're a lot about of it consideration, and yeah. that was one lesson that I've learned that you never should judge people if you haven't been in their position ever. And because I always thought, why are they not saying something? It would be so good for tennis and for the world and for the political, you know, for LGBT in general. But um, but you can't judge those people because um, now that I have more information and uh, and the world is not there yet, it's very sad. But uh, you, I, I understand if you make the personal choice for yourself not to not to out yourself. Yeah, that makes all sorts of sense. Wrap up. <laughs> we have taken more than enough of your time. Thank you so much. Oh, no, it was for fun, being like here always. On, on episode one hundred, closing it out. But it wasn't tennis at all, I guess. Not much. But we never, <laughs> never really. It was about tennis. tennis. <laughs> I mean, hopefully people know, but we don't really because we talked to you. We talked to JJ. Okay, that's and cool. And we talked to Ernie. Ernest oh Goldberg. really? We got Golbis, well, which was interesting. The hundredth episode is gonna, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're it's gonna we're pretty go excited. Yeah, but everybody be... was talking. Not so. It wasn't. It wasn't so much tennis talk. All yeah, the time. not really. So at the end of the day, we can good. talk to you guys about tennis in that room. That's exactly. right. That's we right. Get, we get enough of tennis. <laughs> yeah. so, so to finish off, as for always, do you have a song? That but, I can choose. Yeah, you get to choose. Truffle butter. <laughs> Truffle butter. Now you said this before. Explain your love for this song. <laughs> I heard. It. I hadn't heard it until you mentioned it. I really? No? Yeah. Uh, it's really embarrassing because no, I was. Um, I have. Uh, I have friends in in Miami, and. Um, and the, you know you have these type of friends that are the total opposite of yourself yeah. but somehow you get along and you always have fun with them yep. even though you don't appreciate anything they are doing <laughs> yeah. well i have these type of friends in miami i feel like miami is the opposite <laughs> of you in general yes yeah, yeah i guess and so uh i have these uh these friends in miami and uh the first day i came uh from india walls when i arrived to miami i went out for dinner with them and they were listening to that song in that in the car which already tells you a lot about the persons I hang out with in Miami, <laughs> yeah. right? If they listen. And they were like really into it and rapping the parts. And I mean, I didn't understand everything, right? I'm not American, but I, my English is pretty good. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, this so you know, it's like an accident. You don't want to listen to it, but you have to. <laughs> And that was, and then it really caught me into it. And my sister arrived two days later, and I was like, Anya, I have this amazing song that I have to play to you. And she's like, Really? And I played to her, and she's like, Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> so, 
some songs are undeniable. Exactly. Like, so no it's matter, like they're a, just good songs. Yeah. Just, it's like, like it a guilty not. pleasure, you know. So we're going to so. leave it with that. It's been a pleasure. Thank not you. It's been a pleasure. Not guilty at all. <laughs> Thank you. Thank What's you very much, Andrea. Thank, Thank you, guys. I don't trust you, you I could probably make some steps since it's fuck each other. Talking fillets with the truffle butter. Fresh sheets and towels, man, she gotta love it. Yeah, they all get what they desire from it. What? Tell them niggas we ain't hiding from it. So thank you very much for listening to all of this show. Or if you skipped around, that's fine too. But there was a whole lot of show. Thank you very much for sitting through it and for being with us all this time through 100 episodes. We super duper appreciate it. And if you want to be with us even more, you can follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tenants. You can also follow both of us individually. According is at 40 Deuce Twits, and I am just at Ben Rothenberg, pretty boringly. If you want to send us questions for an upcoming show, you can do so by emailing us, no challenges remaining, at gmail.com. Questions, comments, hate, love, whatever, we'll take it all. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I don't know where I said that. If you can like us on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. You can also subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice rss reader whatever and on itunes you can leave us reviews there and we like that we're going to close in our own fashion with our rant rave segment of the show courtney i'll let you bat lead off as we finish our 100th podcast what are you feeling passionate about (laughs) as we stretch on to the end of this show yes i do have my rant rave segment ready um my rave sounds pretty generic but Stay with me, guys. Stay with me. Uh, my rave is about podcasts. So meta. I, I love podcasts. I do. And I listen to them all the time. Um, at this point, it, it, it's very possible that I listen to podcasts more than I listen to music, which is a pretty impressive switch for me, considering how much music I listen to generally. But I love it as a medium. And I think that it's something that um, maybe a lot of people, I understand why a lot of people aren't as into it as I am. Um, Part of that is if you live in a country or a city where you don't have a commute, like you're not in a car, like podcasts are great when you're walking around on the street. They're even better when you have like long commutes, which I think is why, generally speaking, in America, podcasts are great and people have generally been really into them. You can just pop them in, you know, drive to and from work, your 45 minute, you know, each way commute. On the train or whatever. Or on the train or whatever. So they're wonderful. It's great because you can do it while, you know, your hands are occupied. You don't have to like, your eyes can look somewhere else, all these sorts of things. But I do think that we are either in or on the, in the verge of, on the verge of, sorry, um, you know, kind of this next gen, next step in podcasting, which is as much as I love these types of podcasts, which are very conversational, very, um, very much about, you know, debate and discussion. You know, if you mm. listen to the Slate Culture Gab Fest, the Slate Political Gab Fest, that sort of stuff. Grantland has a lot of discussion podcasts. They're great. And those are the types of podcasts that have really brought us to where we are now. But moving forward and, and those types of podcasts that just really excite me these days are really storytelling podcasts, whether fiction or nonfiction. You saw that all come to a head with Serial last year. Um, and how that really took everything by storm and that kind of spawned like the startup podcasts and things. But there's also a lot of other really great podcasts that are both uh, educational. Some are just really compelling stories. Um, so I just really love it. I would love to like, 
uh, as Ben knows, like try to experiment with that. Not necessarily here on NCR, although maybe, I don't know, maybe. But um, but to get people more into it as a form, because there are things that you can do in an audio format that work better than doing it in a written format. And I say that as a writer. Um, So, yeah, if you haven't, I mean, 99 percent invisible is one of my favorite podcasts right now. It is wonderful in terms of how it uses audio and, and how it's edited. It's super great. Theory of Everything, which I've talked to, I've talked about on this uh, podcast before, um, is also a really good one. And then in terms of fiction podcasts, um, there's one called The Truth that is just really cool kind of like plays, you know, a little 15 minute uh, non, uh, uh, yeah, fiction uh, story that gets acted out, which is going back to like the old days of radio and, you know, you sitting around a radio and being told a ghost story or something like that. That one's really good. And then there's another one called Welcome to Night Vale, which is, if you can understand this conceptually, is basically a podcast, an imaginary quote unquote podcast from a bunk, from a city that has been completely inhabited by aliens and all this like weird sci-fi stuff is going on. But it's like a podcast as though all of that is normal. And it's very, very funny. So I love podcasts. I thank everybody for listening to ours. Um, and I appreciate it. And go find more podcasts and support the podcast community because there's a lot of really, really great content out there. So there you go. Thank you very much for your rave, Courtney. My rave will be also somewhat meta about the show, but I'm going to rave about you. What? I know. This is this awkward. Is, this is a surprise, but I just want to thank Courtney so much for being with me for these 100 episodes and for really like the last four, four plus years. I don't know how long we've known each other, but it's been a while. And for being sort of my Siamese twin through the tennis world to the point where people are like always assume that we need to sit next to each other at tournaments. They always place us next to each other um, various different times. But we really had I couldn't imagine having done all of this without you. It would have been a lonely, scary world. And so with our similar weirdnesses being surprisingly compatible over the years, I would say um, it's been a treat. And so your ethos and spirit for the for the sport has kept me going and kept the show going and all these wonderful things so Aww. that's what i'm just gonna say thank you so courtney nice. i try that's like the, literally the nicest thing ben's ever said to me probably it really really is probably so on that nice note we're gonna leave you here for episode 100 thank you very much for listening we'll be with you for episode 101 next time we're not Ugh, stopping right back at the bottom of the ladder i know it's gonna take a while get excited for 200 coming in years We'll see you later, guys. Bye. We don't know where we're headed, but we're willing and ready to go, etc. Driving so fast, we just need to slow down, let it roll. Oh.